Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for your sports medication. Please take one capsule daily. It's Ribs and BK, powered by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. Use only as directed. I would imagine internally they have a, a pretty good idea of what they've got. I mean, you've seen them in spring training, and I know it's just spring training. You've seen them in a summer camp, and that summer camp, which isn't fair to them. But I would think they've got a pretty good idea with the advanced metrics of what you can see and exit velocity and barreling of balls and that kind of thing. Um, and it's not really fair to them. But as a franchise, I don't know if you feel comfortable going into next season with that group. I, I, just, I don't know if you can. That was Danny Mack on with us yesterday talking about the Cardinals young outfielders and the runway that they have the remainder of the season with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie J JR Jamie Rivers is off today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. The Cardinals now have 23 games to play in the next 18 days. More specifically, boys, what really matters, they've got 13 games over the next eight days. This is where the Cardinals need to find out what can these young outfielders do? Because as I was looking it up this morning and I went through some of the numbers, it was even more concerning than what we already know. I looked up what they've done over the last 30 days. What have these young outfielders done in the last month? Here's what it is. Harrison Bader batting 255 in 58 plate appearances in 26 games. Tyler O'Neill batting 180 in 87 plate appearances. Lane Thomas batting 150 in 23 plate appearances. And Dylan Carlson, who of course has been sit down, is batting 162 in his last 80 plate appearances. That's four guys, three of whom are batting under 200 over the last month. It's not good enough. Somebody from that group is going to have to step up if they want to be a consistent starter, not only for this season, but going into next year. Especially when you have that many games, BK. And I mean, just hearing the fact that you play 13 games in the next eight days originally is frightening when you think about the offense and what these guys are hitting, but then you think more about it and you get to the point of, okay, well, you're going to see what these guys truly are. Like those numbers, Harrison Bader, I'm fine with. I'm fine with a 255 because that is a center fielder. That is a ninth hole hitter. And that's a guy who could get on base for you. But the other guys, 180 for Tyler O'Neill. That's not, that's not what you need. You're at the point now where You'd rather see an Andrew Kisner play DH and find somebody else to play outfield. Put Ravello in the outfield because at least you put an unknown out there rather than put a 180 batting average out there. I am losing faith in Tyler O'Neill at this point. 
I think we are getting closer and closer to him being somebody that the Cardinals can no longer count on. And that's why this is such a big stretch. These next couple of weeks for the Cardinals are huge for a, a number of reasons, including their playoff seeding, which it appears right now, if you look at any of the projections, they're likely going to make the postseason. But really, this season has always been about the outfield. We know that they've got the arms. We know that the defense in the infield is going to be good. We know that Paul Goldschmidt's a good player. We know Paul DeYoung's a big part of their future. We had a pretty good idea that Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright were going to be back next season. All of those things were almost assuredly going to take place for next year. I wanted to find out about the outfield. And so far, almost everything has been either inconclusive or pointing towards the negative. And that's where we are right now with Tyler O'Neill in particular. He was the guy that so many had such high hopes for because of that power potential that he brings to the table. But the strikeouts were an issue, and he came into the season, and you were hoping that it was going to change. And it looked like it was going to. We got about five games into the season. I was like, okay, maybe this is something that they can actually work with. But over the last... 30 games. It hasn't been that way. Tyler O'Neill has reverted back to the player that he was. And if this is who he is, the Cardinals can't build around that guy. He cannot go into next season as a starter. We all want him to be able to be that guy, but he hasn't been thus far. And it's got to change over the next couple of weeks for him to be able to continue earning these opportunities. Yeah. And you know, I was one of those guys that stood here in this exact spot and was like, O'Neill's the guy O'Neill. I'm defending O'Neill to me. He's the Randall Gritchick. Gritchick's doing pretty well in Toronto this year. I saw his numbers earlier today. Mm-hmm. You'd really like to have him on this team rather than O'Neal or really any of the outfielders, maybe minus a Harrison Bader. To me, the outfield is more looking towards there's going to have to be a solution in the offseason that's not internal. It's going to have to come from outside the organization, free agency or a trade. Here's the only thing that's kept Tyler O'Neill alive in my eyes. The excuse of, well, he's been injured a lot in his major league time. And and I've used that excuse. Going back a couple of years, he was never able to play a full season because he was injured. And then he was in the minors tearing it up. But he would never make it through an MLB season. I mean, you look at those numbers, BK. He has been the healthiest of all of these outfielders. Lane Thomas with COVID. Harrison Bader with his quote-unquote migraines. And Dylan Carlson not getting every day at bats. The only one out of these four that has zero excuse of what they truly are is Tyler O'Neill. And I think the best thing that the Cardinals can do is to continue to play these guys until Dexter Fowler comes back. Because when Fowler comes back, O'Neill is going to be the odd one out because he's played the most and he's doing the least. And moving forward, that's what you're trying to that's what you're trying to weed out. You're trying to weed out who's played the most and who hasn't given you anything for the entire season. It's interesting because you brought up Randall Gritchick. And his numbers are better this year, but they're not all that different from the player that he was here in St. Louis. He's still striking out. He's batting 270. He's got a little bit of the power. That was kind of the player that he was here in St. Louis. Same with Steven Piscotty. I hear Mm -hmm. his name brought up from time to time. He's basically the player that he was here in St. Louis, a 750 OPS type of a guy, somebody that can bat sixth in your lineup and you feel fine about it. The problem is the Cardinals have been looking for a franchise changer in the outfield and neither of those two players Randall Gritchick or Steven Piscotty still profile as that today they're nice players that you like to have in your outfield but they're not really cornerstones Marcelo Zuna is that guy this year the one that they're really missing is Ozuna if you look at what he's doing right now he's 22nd in Major League Baseball in batting average he's 23rd in OPS he's got an OPS above a thousand this year he is sixth 
Sixth in all of baseball in RBI this season. He has 37 already on the year. That's the guy that the Cardinals were counting on them in the middle of their order. That is the player that they're missing right now in the outfield. The problem is, I don't think Marcelo Zuna, the person, was going to be able to right. be Marcelo Zuna, the player, here in St. Louis. I think this is a guy that needed to be in a situation like Miami or like Atlanta where the pressure is not there on him and he's able to just go out there and play. And that's fine. That's not a shot against Marcelo Zuna. It's just something that as as the Cardinals move forward, they need to remember that as a learning experience for them. It's got to be scouting the person as much as it is scouting the player. And Marcelo Zuna was clearly just not going to be able to be that player here in this town, in this market, where it's a pressure cooker for baseball players. That's why they got Paul Goldschmidt, because Paul Goldschmidt can perform in this area. He 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 was the leader of an Arizona Diamondbacks team, and he fit seamlessly into a St. Louis Cardinals team that is the spotlight of Major League Baseball in the Midwest. That's why people, I think, want Nolan Arenado so much because of everything he is saying. But yeah, Marcelo Zuna wasn't ever going to make it here. I mean, if you look at his success, Miami, he was the third guy. He was the he was the hard hitter with, with Stanton, mm-hmm. but everyone was talking about Stanton and Christian Yelich. And now you look at Atlanta, you got Freddie Freeman, you got Acuna Jr., you got Ozzie Albies, you got Dansby Swanson. You have all of these hitters. Marcelo Zuna just kind of fits seamlessly into that batting order. And I was reading the Commissioner Hummel's article today on STL Today. It was kind of going through a couple of quick hitters from fans. And people asked, do you think the Cardinals are go- our fans are going to regret losing Ozuna? And he said, yes, but no. Because at the time, it felt like everyone was ready to move on from Ozuna because he wasn't performing. But if he hits this way, people are going to want him back in this lineup. But Kamish said it never was going to work. It's the in theory, you want that guy, right? Yes. In practice, you probably were never going to get that guy. It's like the girl relationship analogy here. There are certain people that are just not compatible and it's just never going to work. And you could try to make it work all you want. That person that you want to be with may be a perfect girlfriend, a perfect husband to whoever else they're going to be with. But for you, it's just never going to work. That was the case for the Cardinals and for Marcelo Zuna. It was an arranged marriage that was never going to work here in St. Louis. And that's fine. But when you lose that type of a productive player who can go on elsewhere and be productive, you've got to replace him with somebody. And the Cardinals were hoping that the internal options were going to be able to give you that kind of production this year. Yeah, and from the 618 on the text line, Air Comfort Service text line 65780, uh, Mozilla could have had Grichik, Fam, Ozuna in the outfield. Two of those three were never going to work out here in St. Louis. As much as you wanted those two, Fam's personality wasn't meshing well in the locker room after his post-game comments. I still think that's the one that they should regret. I think it's the one they should regret too, but I think he wasn't meeting the mold of Cardinals baseball, and that's why you saw him shipped out. And then with Ozuna, it just never seemed to work out, whether it was injuries or his play. So yes, you could have had those three, but I don't know if those three pan out to be what they are now if they stayed with St. Louis. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text on. It's interesting that you bring, they bring up Grichik once again because I don't think that people would be loving Grichik the way that they think they would if he was still here. See, I think they would. Because to me, if he's hitting, what would you say, 270 this year? 260, yeah. 260. He's probably not going to hit 260 in a full regular season. But to me, he's a guy that would have hit around the 240, 250. But if he's hitting close to 30 home runs a year the Cardinals should be willing to take that the power's down this year and to me that's on the downward trend still heading into next year as well 
So someone like a Gritchick, who wasn't bad defensively, you could put him in center field, had a pretty good arm, hits the 250 mark, and then hits the 30 home runs. Yeah, he strikes out a lot, but if he homers, then I think it cancels itself out. He is basically what you're hoping that Tyler O'Neill becomes. And I just, I don't know that that's a guy that the Cardinals really want right now. They they need a cornerstone. They are still missing one of those middle-of-the-order bats. I, I heard this yesterday. I think it was... Um, BT who said this on the fast lane he said the Cardinals offense goes as Brad Miller goes which is so true right now yeah because when Brad Miller is hitting you feel really good about the middle of this lineup with him Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung when he's not hitting though all you've really got in the middle of the order is DeYoung and Goldschmidt you're missing that third but third guy in the middle you're missing that third really consistent really high level hitter Grichik wasn't going to be that. I don't believe that you were going to get that from Ozuna here. He can be that elsewhere. I don't think he was going to have that happen here. That's who they're missing. They're missing an Arenado, a Lindor. They're missing their next Goldschmidt. That's who they need to go find. And I don't believe that it's coming internally. And that's why it's such a big few weeks for one of these guys, whether it be Bader or O'Neill or Thomas to claim one of the remaining outfield spots because I think going into next season that's all there's going to be they're going to want Dylan Carlson out there they're going to want Fowler out there there's one spot remaining at most for one of those guys to be able to take it with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. it's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN coming up at 1130 if you have a late last minute fantasy football Draft. We will get you some advice with Ben Heisler of Sports Illustrated. That's coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so. It's 11:14. Your time check brought to you by Clarks and Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I think that we are seeing a reminder today as to why something we all hate is important. We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Hear the sports edition. This is Ribs and BK broadcasting from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. When the regular season goes to 17 games, the preseason goes down to three. So the owners still want to keep that slate of 20 gates, right? Of, of, of 10 home games for each team. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Dan Graziano on ESPN earlier this summer talking about how he doesn't expect the preseason to be eliminated. Boys, as we get closer and closer to the start of the NFL season, it's going to be tonight pregame uh, for Chiefs versus Texans. We'll be right here on 101 ESPN coming up at 630. I think we missed the preseason this year. <laughs> I do. I didn't think that I was going to be saying this. I have said for years that I think the preseason is stupid. It should be eliminated. This is ridiculous that we are still doing this. I've changed my tune. Going into tonight's game, I'm a Chiefs fan. Our audience certainly knows that. Yes, they do. This is the least anticipation, the least excitement that I've seen for the NFL season in a long time. And I think there's a reason for it. I think the reason is because we haven't had any of the lead up. Your typical lead up is you get the four weeks of the preseason. You get excited for your fantasy draft. You're starting to learn a little bit more about these teams. It's like the movie trailer. You go to the movies and you're watching the trailers at the beginning before whatever you're about to see. And you get excited. There's about a 60, 90 second trailer. You're like, okay, 
I just saw all of the best scenes from that movie, but I'm excited about it. That's what preseason is. You don't have to stay tuned for the full thing. We all know that everybody's tuning out by by halftime for these preseason games, but you get to see some of the guys. You get to watch, if your team's the Colts, you get to see what Phillip Rivers looks like in a Colts jersey. If you're a Bucks fan or you want to see what Tom Brady looks like down in Tampa Bay, you get your first taste of it. We haven't seen any of that yet. We have no idea what so many of these teams are going to look like when they take the field in week one. And a lot of that is because the thing that we hate, the preseason, actually has a little bit of tangible value for all of us in getting us prepared and excited for what the regular season is going to bring for us. See, I kind of feel the flip side of that one, BK. I feel like I have thoroughly enjoyed not having the preseason. I agree that it is like a movie preview, but it's one of those bad movie previews where you see it and you're like, God, this movie looks like it sucks. So you tell yourself you're not going to watch, but then you go, you miss out on seeing an awesome film. Now, I don't know if that works with the NFL this way, but look, I've thoroughly enjoyed not having to sit there and pay attention to preseason and watch a quarter of it and then be like, okay, what the hell? I've liked the subtle kind of teases with it. Like people talking about, hey, NFL week one starts two weeks from now. Did you start your fantasy draft? Doing a fantasy draft without preseason football. That was like shooting a gun at night. Like you don't know what's going to come away with it. All of those things, it kind of it kind of built up the excitement for the NFL more than what it did in the past. Really? Because I, I couldn't disagree more. I, I don't feel like I have any sort of feel for these teams, which I... I guess is a little bit interesting, That's but the excitement part, I don't feel that at all. I'm going into tonight's game and there's, there's been no real buildup to this. And normally there would have been so much more. And maybe some of this is just because of COVID, right? And that, that was always going to be the case because there's less coverage than there has been in the past because there are fewer journalists and media outlets that are able to go travel to these camps than there have been in the past. But I do think there is something about watching your team on a Saturday night or a Sunday evening, whenever you're going into preseason week three, and you're like, all right, this is the dress rehearsal. This is going to be for a half what we are going to see this season. And you at least get that glimpse, that taste of what that team is going to look like. And we've had none of that this year. There has been no ability to have any sort of informed opinion on what Philip Rivers is going to be with the Colts, what Tom Brady is going to be with the with the Bucks, what we're going to see from so many of these teams that have changed so much. The Panthers, I have no idea what they're going to look like this year with Teddy Bridgewater and a new new offensive uh, coordinator. I have no idea what the Bengals are going to look like with Joe Burrow at quarterback this year. <laughs> we have no idea. Normally, we'd have a glimpse. This year, we have nothing to go on. And I do think for me, and 65780 is the air comfort service text line. I would be curious if this is the case for some of the audience as well. Are you feeling that? Are you feeling like there is a lack of buildup, a lack of excitement for the NFL this season? Yeah, see, I think that uncertainty is what builds the excitement for me. Like, you've seen all of these offseason moves of trades, signings, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hype with all of the Patriot reunions and Leonard Fournette and the Titans with Jadavian Clowney. But not having a preseason is putting all of that together. And it's like, okay, what is this going to look like? Because we haven't had any trial runs with it. And I do think what kind of wet down a little bit of the NFL season and why I feel like it did sneak up was because of the virus, like you mentioned, 
BK. And I do think there's been a lot of people that have just sat there and said, well, there's no way this is going to work. And so no preseason has been the, okay, well, we haven't seen it because it's not really going to happen. That's why I think the excitement is going to build so much tonight with this first one because nobody really expects to see this successfully pulled off, at least from what I'm hearing from a lot of fans and the lack of buildup with the NFL, I think, is what's putting that excitement out there. But I tell you what, the pre depending on what happens in this one, if you see a lot of injuries, I wonder if that makes preseason that much more important for the NFL moving forward. I, it's possible. Um, I think we're going to see that regardless, though, and we always see it, right? We just just this week, Von Miller went down right. to a season-ending injury. We've already lost Derwin James. I mean, seemingly everybody in the AFC West, not named the Chiefs, is getting hurt right now. I did want to ask you guys because it seems to me like this year, maybe more so than in other seasons. People feel like they've got a good beat on which teams are going to be good and which teams are going to be bad. And that is risky because in general, over the last 30 years, an average of six teams that missed the playoffs uh, or an average of 16 that six teams that made the playoffs the previous season went on to miss it the following season. So there's a lot of turnover. It's about a 50% turnover rate every single year. Once you get into the postseason, I was curious for you guys, if you had to take four or five, six teams from last year's postseason that you think will miss it this year, who would you go with on that list? Who would you start with? Who would you include on the the list of teams that made the playoffs a year ago that you think are going to turn over going into this year? So I have two that I feel like won't be there next year. Just looking at the list that we have down, I don't think the Patriots are there this year. I, I, as much as we've built up the Cam Newton hype, and I know Jamie Rivers is probably uh, rolling over wherever he is right now because hmm. of this, I just don't see them having success like they have in the past. I think the Bills are stacked this year. You could see a wild card, but I think there are a lot of AFC teams that could get in the wild card. I think the Patriots are looking at a, a year that I, th- I think I saw somebody say the other day that it could be the worst since 2000 uh, for the Patriots. And then the other one are the Packers. I think that there's a lot of uncertainty right now in Green Bay with Rodgers and then with the quarterback that they took in the draft, Love. Uh, the weapons aren't going to be the best this year. Green Bay is a team that always seems to find a way in, but this year I think it's going to be a little different. See, I find that Green Bay's getting in. I, I'm still on Rodgers. I know that there's going to be a lot of drama there surrounding Love and when can Love step in. I think they get in. The team that I'm looking at is the Patriots. I agree. To me, the Eagles aren't getting in. I'm not a big Wentz fan, he's got to stay healthy. What is it with don't this show and everybody that I work with not liking Carson Wentz? Apparently we all hate Carson <laughs> Wentz. I'm not big on him. And another team that I'm going to keep my eye on, and I'm not going to be saying 100% they're going to miss, the Texans. And I know that surprises you because, to me, giving away DeAndre Hopkins for a washed-up running back that makes a lot of money didn't make a lot of sense. I questioned some of the weapons around Watson. He was sacked 44 times last year. The offensive line may improve this year. We'll see defensively. They don't have Jadavion Clowney. They got rid of him last year. We saw maybe some of the effects in that uh, in the playoffs against the mm-hmm. Chiefs. They're a team that I kind of have an eye on that could miss too. I've got three in particular that I'm okay. keeping an eye on. The Titans in the AFC is one Ooh. team. Anytime that I've got a team that is dependent upon a running back for most of their success, that's that's somebody that I'm going to keep an eye on. So the Titans in the AFC are the number one team that I'm watching for. And then over in the NFC, it's actually the top two seeds from a year ago that I think are at risk for missing the postseason this year, the 49ers and the Packers. The 49ers really? are just in a really difficult division. Everybody loves the Seahawks. I do as well. Russell Wilson is fantastic. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I would have him second right now behind Mahomes. 
I, I just the 49ers were so reliant on perfect game scripts a year ago. And what I mean by that is they get up early, they run the hell out of the football to keep the lead, and they win the game as a result. I don't know how sustainable that is over another season when people now have film on what they're going to be doing with Jimmy G at quarterback. They've lost a lot on defense. They traded one of their best defensive linemen this offseason. That's a team that I'm not all in on going into this season. And then the other one is the Packers. I just think last year they were smoke and mirrors. That team was not a 13 and 3 team even though that was the record. They they are not that good of a not that talented of a team. So, those are the three teams for me, the Titans, the 49ers, and the Packers that I would look at potentially missing the playoffs after making it a year ago. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Heisler is a fantasy and gambling analyst for Sports Illustrated. Who would he pick? Who is his number 1 contender for a team that made the postseason a year ago that's going to miss it this year? We'll talk to Ben Heiss about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Football season is finally here, and that means our guy Benny Heisler is joining us here on the show. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. You can find his work on Sports Illustrated, where he is a fantasy and gambling analyst. You can also follow him on Twitter. He is at Benny Heiss. Heiss, how you doing today, man? BK, Alex, what's going on, gentlemen? Happy start of the football season to you. It's finally here. So, Heiss, I had a very unpopular opinion, I believe, in our last segment. where It's common. I essentially said, I actually think this was the year where we learned that the preseason does have value, maybe not for the teams, not in the way that we typically think of it, but just for us as fans with the anticipation starting to grow as we watch the preseason. Did you feel that way at all? Did you feel like there was a lack of anticipation building coming up into what is obviously the start of the season tonight? I don't know if I felt a lack of anticipation, BK, because I'm so entrenched into this from, you know, a daily perspective. I'm constantly monitoring what's going on at these different training camps. And to be honest with you, I I really didn't mind it from the standpoint of if this could get us to the regular season, if all these teams could be insulated in their bubble to ensure that we would at least have somewhat of a safe start to the NFL season, then I was all for it. I think from the level of you know, maybe feeling like from the casual fan, uh, this might have snuck up on us a little bit from the perspective of, you know, all of a sudden we have some training camp. We're not actually seeing games. I, I think that opinion makes sense that maybe the start of the NFL season came a little bit sooner than anticipated, even though it's probably one of the later starts in recent history. But, you know, from a fantasy level, I, I think so much of us were already starting to get entrenched and try to know what was happening in our leagues. that it didn't really feel like it snuck up for me, but maybe for more people that are just tuning in for the first time going, Oh, football's back. I totally get it from that perspective as well. Ben, do you feel like that adds a little bit more excitement to it though? Because I told BK when he said that in our last segment, it's, it felt like you're going into it blindly where you're trying to figure out what these teams are going to look like. And with the off season that we had of a Tom Brady uh, moving to Tampa and a clowny signing with the Titans and all of the moves, it kind of built that excitement up a little bit more, didn't it? I think so. I I think from the standpoint of trying to understand, even on on the sort of the betting markets and trying to evaluate, okay, like how is Tom Brady going to look like at this team? Mitch Trubisky won the quarterback battle for Chicago. Is that going to have any sort of impact 
on what this offense might look like, or is it still going to be as atrocious as it has been for the last several years with Trubisky running the show? Normally in a preseason, in, a, in sort of the, at least those competitions, you get some sort of a semblance of what actually makes sense and, and what you can anticipate. Now, the problem is that the preseason usually tricks your eyeballs a lot as well, and, and the things and results that you see usually don't end up translating at the NFL level once the regular season starts. So there's a lot to try and determine here. There's a lot to be able to try and figure out. I think the biggest factor will be attempting to, at least in these week one odds guys, trying to just understand like, okay, there's no home crowd at this point, but is there still going to be a home field advantage knowing that these teams can rest comfortably? They're not traveling in the midst of, a, of the coronavirus. Um, trying to adjust week one to week two with a lot of these betting lines, I think is going to be fascinating. That's actually what I wanted to get into with you, Heiss. And we're talking to Ben Heisler. He's a fantasy and gambling analyst for Sports Illustrated, joining us here on 101 ESPN. What are you seeing from the lines? Does it seem like Vegas is going with their typical three-point home field advantage, or are they adjusting already to this as well? What are, what are you seeing from that perspective, and how are you going to try to attack it? I don't think Vegas is necessarily putting that traditional three-point home field advantage on BK uh, because we've already seen uh, a bunch of home underdogs uh, so far this year. You have Atlanta that's hosting Seattle. Uh, it's it's a, in the early part of the, the uh, upcoming season. Uh, you move a little bit forward. Washington is a six-point division home underdog against Philadelphia, and the Eagles right now have all sorts of depth issues at the wide receiver spot. Uh, they might be missing multiple guys for week one. Uh, you continue down that list as well. Jacksonville, arguably one of the worst teams in the NFL. They're uh, more of an underdog by a touchdown and a half currently to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, so there's plenty of home dogs. The Rams opening up in a brand new stadium against the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys tend to always be a, a big favorite when it comes to the betting market. Uh, but right now the Rams, even with all that excitement in LA, are currently uh, plus three and a half in the Sunday night game at home. So I don't think you're necessarily seeing that factor in, but I do think home field is going to matter, especially as these teams really leave their practice facilities and their bubble from their home city for the first time really in several months. Hey, Ben, I'm curious from a fantasy perspective, you know, with no preseason as we've talked about and kind of a different looking training camp this year, do you see one position having a bigger season than the other in terms of a running back compared to a wide receiver? As far as sort of determining whether or not the, the preseason matters to, to help with, you know, fantasy production, not necessarily. I will tell you that from a depth perception this year, um, you're, you're going to see more depth spot at both tight end and wide receiver than I think you've ever seen before in fantasy football. And even at running back, there's still so many guys that are just sort of hanging around uh, that are waiting in the wings that could be dynamic players in the right opportunity, like Chase Edmonds with the Arizona Cardinals, Tony Pollard, who's backing up Ezekiel Elliott uh, in Dallas. And I would say from a fantasy football strategy perspective, one of the things that I'm doing this year that's not necessarily agreed on in the industry is, you know, when we talk about handcuffs, you know, where you're going ahead and getting that backup running back of the stud that you drafted in the first round to make sure that if that player goes down, you still have somebody to back them up. I'm worried about the COVID impact of the handcuff this year. And so what I've decided to do is I've tried to take more of a stock market approach um, to fantasy football this year. Instead of taking the handcuff for guys that are directly on my team, I'm now taking elite handcuffs regardless 
of what team that they're on. Because chances are, if you draft Dalvin Cook of the Minnesota Vikings and he goes down with the coronavirus, Alexander Madison is probably going down with the coronavirus as well. They're in the same room. They're in the same meetings. They're right by each other. So to me, it doesn't do you a whole lot of favors if one of your players ends up coming down with coronavirus, if his teammate who's about to take his spot on the roster likely ends up coming down with it as well. So I'm trying to diversify my team as much as possible. In the event that there is an outbreak, it doesn't completely dismantle your season. We're talking with Ben Heisler here on 101 ESPN. Heis, one thing that I think is going to be really interesting here in week one is just seeing the number of high-profile players that are making their debut for their new teams. I mean, if you're looking at the rookie class and you're looking at Joe Burrow, if you're looking at the quarterback position, Cam Newton, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, I mean, it it is time and time and time again, all of these games, we're going to see somebody that is a star making their debut. And we haven't even talked about DeAndre Hopkins making his debut for the Cardinals this weekend. What are you most looking forward to from those guys? And is there anybody from that list that you are particularly interested in from a fantasy perspective? this year somebody that is moving to a new team well I, I think from a fantasy level the guy that you mentioned among all of those that probably is in the most advantageous matchup is cam newton i mean what better opportunity if you're the patriots who got knocked out of the bye week last year that allowed the kansas city chiefs to move into that bye, end up winning the super bowl uh, and now you get to host miami once again that's the last team you played and so much has changed for new england especially at the quarterback spot where Cam Newton has now replaced Tom Brady. I'll be honest with you guys. I wasn't sure about how Cam Newton and Bill Belichick would initially get along, but the fact that they've named him a captain, the fact that Newton has spoken so eloquently about his time so far in New England, now that could all change if they start losing games, of course. But um, it's been really impressive to me to see that dynamic right from the very beginning get going and possibly put the Patriots back in a situation where they can contend once again as AFC East Division champions. So I think from a matchup perspective, Cam Newton going in against Miami at home is a great opportunity uh, for him to get off of uh, the New England, get off at least from, from the New England side with a win and put up some solid fantasy numbers. Remember, this was a guy that was going to be the quarterback for in 2018 up until that injury. So he still has a ton of fantasy value. He's still an upside play. As far as the matchup, not necessarily from a fantasy level, it's hard not to get excited about what you're going to see with Tom Brady going on the road against the Saints in the Dome, divisional matchup, first time playing in the NFC. That's the game that, I'm circ- that I am circling as far as must-watch for me, but probably staying away from, from a fantasy perspective. I, I just don't know what Tom Brady is going to be this year, and I don't know how much of a downfield threat he's going to be, even with as good of that offense that, as, as it is. Last quick question for you, Heist. Tonight's game, Texans versus Chiefs, has the highest point total of the week in Vegas. It's sitting at 53.5 right now for the over-under. Is this just a scenario, fantasy-wise, where you're playing everybody that you've got that would typically be a starter? Absolutely. Although there is a bunch of good, sharp information coming in. If you go to sportsillustrated.com slash gambling, you'll notice that our, our Vegas insider, Frankie Tadeo, is deciding to go with the under on this game. The total might have been set a little bit too high in this one. But that's not to say that you don't start pretty much every chief that you have. There's there's Pat Mahomes, there's Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, uh, maybe McCole Hardman, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, certainly all these guys are in play. Um, just because those are the chiefs that you drafted to be the studs for your team throughout the entirety of the year, and you know that they can put points up on the Texans. Uh, as for the Houston side, there's plenty of opportunity for them knowing that they're going to have to try to keep up with the Chiefs' offense as well. Deshaun Watson is a must-start this week. Same thing with Will Fuller, uh, who is finally healthy. He's going to be the number one wide receiver. Brandon Cooks is dealing with an injury, so he might see more targets in the middle of the field. David Johnson is one of the best pass-catching running backs 
in the NFL. So you know he's going to get plenty of volume in this offense as well, especially if they're behind. So, uh, yes, play all your Texans with the exception of Cooks because he's probably hurt, and certainly, certainly play all your Chiefs. In fact, I I can't really think of a scenario, guys, in which you wouldn't play your (laughs) top-level Chiefs players. I I think they're matchup proof pretty much the entirety of the season. The one guy I'm not in on this year that a lot of people seem to be is McCole Hardman. I just don't think the snaps are going to be there for him. Are you you in the same spot with with him? Yeah, I'm with you. He's dynamic. And, you know, the thing about Tyreek Hill in that first year is we didn't think he could do it again because the touchdowns were so high and the efficiency level was unlike anything we had ever seen before. McCall Hartman's still going to have some of those breakout plays. And, you know, if you play him every week in daily fantasy, at some point he's going to have one of those monster weeks and everyone's going to jump all over him. But you're right. He's just not going to be on the field as much as we need him to be. And Mahomes is still going to spread it around. You still have Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You still have Daryl Williams. Uh, Kelsey's going to get a bunch of volume. Hill, Demarcus Robinson is still on this team. So uh, I I like McCall Hardman's skill set, but you're right. In an an efficiency level, it just doesn't make sense to be the guy that everybody is in on this year. Heiss, we always appreciate the time, man. You can find Ben Heisler's work on Sports Illustrated. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well. You should definitely do so. At Benny Heiss, H-E-I-S. Thanks so much for the time today, man. We look forward to talking with you each and every week right here on 101 ESPN. It sounds like a plan, boys. Be good. You got it. That's Ben Heisler joining us here on 101 ESPN. You will be our fantasy football insider on Ribs and BK each and every Thursday right around 1130. So if you need some fantasy football advice, we'll get that advice with Heiss each and every Thursday right here on 101 ESPN. Did you plan that advice with Heiss? Sometimes I've got okay. something of my sometimes, sometimes you got those, man. You 6 five, seven, eight, zero, the Air Comfort Service text line. We have some news from the Cardinals to pass along, plus questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now, 65780. It's Ribs and BK's Questions and Answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one coming from the 618. Guys, how do you think the Cardinals front office would be viewed this offseason if they don't better the team? That one again coming from the 618. I think it's going to be disappointing um boy I, I i'm trying to think because last year felt that way right like they made the they made the move for goldschmidt two years ago and then this past off season it was hey we're going to look at what we have but as we've heard from buster Olney, as we've heard from other baseball analysts dale mclaughlin has said it if you go into next year with this same team and say well we just we, we still have an evaluation that we want to go with I mean, it's a step backwards because you know what these guys are. I don't care if it's a 60 game season and not an 162 game. You know what these guys are. You got 182 batting average in the last 87 at bats for Tyler O'Neill. You need more offense. You need something in the middle. So if you don't go out there and be aggressive, it's going to be a step backwards, in my opinion, if you look at the front office. I agree. I think it would be viewed as a step backwards. And part of that issue, too, is last year you were in the championship series. You had a dull offseason saying you had to evaluate talent. Well, if you do more evaluating, people want to get back to that championship series. If we were a step closer to a World Series, they want to get there, and taking this time to evaluate doesn't sit well with fans, especially here in St. Louis. I agree. That being said, I think COVID's going to be 
It's going to be viewed as an excuse, but it will be an explanation from the team if they do not go add significant talent this offseason. I agree with that. The other thing is, I mean, who's the guy that you want to add to the Cardinals? I know a lot of people are going to say Nolan Arenado, but have you guys looked at what Nolan Arenado has done this year? I know it is a strange season. I know this is not what you would typically expect, but Nolan Arenado has struggled every bit as much as some of the Cardinals Mm -hmm. this year. And it continues to baffle me what he does at home versus on the road. This season at home, he's been Nolan Arenado. Batting 310, he has a 958 OPS. Nolan Arenado on the road in 20 games so far this season is batting 225 with a 635 OPS. That's what the Cardinals are getting right now out of their outfielders. That's not good enough. So is he more right now of a Coors home field product or is he really the superstar that we all believe him to be? Well, I wonder, too, now that he's just playing in the West and only the West, there's some big ballparks out there. San Diego's big. San Francisco's big. Oakland can play big. I wonder how much that is affecting his numbers. Probably quite a bit, but last year it was something similar. He, bat, he hit 351 at home. He hit 277 on the road. Now, batting 277 is fine. You'll deal with that, right? You'll live with somebody being a very good, if not elite hitter. But that is not a superstar the way that we all want him to be here in St. Louis. So I'll be interested to see how they view that. Um, 65780 is the air comfort service text line. That being said, I would probably say that they're not going to add a significant bat in the offseason because of the COVID. Uh, And I think everyone on the text line is saying sign George Springer. Yes, that would be the ideal move, but I don't see this team dipping their toe into free agency. If they're going to make a move, it's going to be a trade where they can offset some salary and bring in somebody who's an upgrade offensively. I don't see them going into the free agent market and being aggressive. 65780 is their comfort service text line. This one comes from the 314. Guys, what is the game in the NFL, in your opinion, that is a straight-up lock this week? Thank you. I'm guessing this is a Survivor League that you're asking this for. If you're asking for a straight-up pick, not looking against the spread, Give me the Bills at home against the Jets. I think the Jets are going to be awful this year. Just awful. I do not trust Adam Gase as a coach. I think the Bills are going to be really good. Now, I've got my questions about Josh Allen. But outside of quarterback, I think you can make a legitimate argument that the Bills have the best remaining roster of any team in the NFL going into the season. So if you're looking for a straight-up pick for like a survivor league i think the bills are a really good pick this week against the jets i was looking at that also because i uh, i'm in one of those survivor leagues the colts i feel like are a lock this week jags jacksonville is just not good and i'm really interested to see what the colts they have a really great defense it's just a matter they haven't had a quarterback since luck Uh, tyrod taylor was okay but not great um or it was jacoby Brissett last year I'm interested to see what uh, Philip Rivers can do with guys like T.Y. Hilton and Marlon Mack. So I, I would go with the Colts as a lock for me. This one might surprise you, but I'm actually going with the Ravens at home against the Browns. I'm oh, not sold on the Browns. The Browns beat the Ravens last year. Though. I know they did, but Even I'm not sold on season. Mayfield. <laughs> Baltimore added some pieces on defense. I like Claire's Campbell there at the defensive tackle spot. I like Baltimore in this one. I think they're going to come out and they're going to prove to people that don't think Lamar Jack is going to want to prove that, hey, I get money. I should get the contract Mahomes got when it's my time. He's going to come out. He's going to dominate. Mark Ingram, they're going to run the ball all over them. I'm going to say the Ravens are my lock this week. Interesting. I like it. It's ballsy. I wouldn't go that route. 65780, air comfort service text line for questions and answers. So there was a little bit of Cardinals news that we have not 
gotten to yet that we probably should discuss here. Derek Gould has reported Johan Oviedo had contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID-19. There is, quote, no correlation between Oviedo's contact and the club. According to John Mosellock, Oviedo continues to test negative. He has not had any symptoms for COVID-19, but he has been placed on the COVID IL because he had contact with somebody. Uh, This typically wouldn't be a huge deal just because the Cardinals have the pitching depth to cover it. But given where they are right now in their schedule and the fact that they do have, I think it's 13 games over their next eight days, this does hurt a little bit. Oviedo was scheduled to start on Sunday against Cincinnati. Uh, I'll be interested to see who they go with instead of him, whether it be, I mean, Gomber starting later today. I would imagine that's probably going to be a spot for Martinez now. So you very well may see Carlos Martinez at home against Cincinnati instead of Oviedo. And I'd be fine with that. I think that's what you should do. We talked about it yesterday, BK, with, with Rivs. Um, you know, Rivs is on the on the stance of moving on from Carlos, but I think you got to find out what this guy truly is if he can get back to being a starting pitcher for you. So the absence of Oviedo, although that 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 stings a little because I think he could have been a bullpen weapon, I think it opens up the door for Carlos to find out what he could truly be, which is hopefully going to be an advantage for the Cardinals if they can get him back to being Carlos. They're going to need KK to get back ASAP. Yes. That's a, that's the big one is if you're going to lose Oviedo right now, you've still got the arms to cover it, but you need KK to come back because eventually uh, you got to have guys that can fill innings. And that's yep. you're, you're losing one with Oviedo that you feel pretty good about right now. Yeah, I think the loss, it's going to kind of hurt, especially like you said, how the games are all jam-packed like that. And- this is the time for Seamark to prove prove to us what he is because I'm on the same boat as Rivers. I'm almost at the point where I'm ready to move on from Carlos. I really am. He hasn't proven much in the rotation. He hasn't looked good in his two starts. And granted, I'm not taking the one of this past week against the Twins too much because he just returned, but he hasn't looked good. To me, he's more of a reliever than a starter. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivs and BK on a 101 ESPN. The NHL is looking at any and every option for next season, including still playing 82 games and starting late. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. There's still so much uncertain about what lies ahead. The idea that training camps could start November 17th and a season starting December 1st as was sort of penciled in early in the going. I think that Bill Daly was was very honest about it, and I think a lot of people around the game also believe the same thing, that that is unlikely to happen and that we're just going to have to wait and see what, um, what the landscape looks like in a month or six weeks and then go from there. That was Scott Burnside earlier today on Carriker and Smallman right here on 101 ESPN. Bill Daly gave us some hints, the assistant commissioner, deputy commissioner, yesterday on what this upcoming NHL season will look like as he was on the Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside podcast for The Athletic. I thought it was really interesting, Alex, on what Bill Daly was saying about the upcoming NHL season because it sounds like there's still a lot of questions that remain to be answered. He's not sure how many games they will be able to play, whether it will be 82 or fewer. He doesn't know if playing in a bubble is realistic for an actual season, and he's not sure when the season will begin officially. So we don't know when it will start. (laughs) We don't know how many games will be played, and we don't know where they will be played thus far. And right now we are three months away from when the season was supposed to begin. 
this is going to be similar to me like the NFL was, where it is one of those things, hope is not a plan. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you have to come up with what the plan is going to be and how you are going to be able to conduct that season. Right now, the NHL doesn't have those answers. They don't need them today, but we're getting closer and closer to the date where they do need those answers. I don't want it to be like with this restart that the NHL just had where some of the players were uncertain as to when or if the season was going to begin. They're going to need some concrete answers sooner rather than later. Yeah, and you don't want it to be a situation like Major League Baseball was too to where you know they had all of that time to plan the return and then it became, and of course they're not going to be having the CBA negotiations because they've resolved that, but you don't want to have all of that time and then turn it into, okay, now we got to decide this in a month. I think from Bill Daly's perspective, you throw everything on the table, but from the players' perspective, there will be no bubble for a regular season because you're just you're not gonna have players willing to opt into that. I think you I think you'd have some players that would say, Yeah, sure, but those are the players that wanna make the NHL. Not so, the superstars. So that's let's start with that because this was Bill Daly's quote on that podcast about playing in a bubble and why it's unlikely for the regular season. He said, quote That does not present a model for a full regular season by any stretch. So that's why when I said before what we're facing with respect to how we construct next season and what it looks like, it's a totally different challenge to what we constructed for the completion of the 1920 season, and it is going to look a lot different. Here's why I am a little frustrated by this. I understand not playing in two bubbles the way that they are right now. But we have talked about playing in four or six Mm -hmm. different quote-unquote bubbles where you're basically playing within your division. And they're going to need other things for these guys to do. What's happened in Edmonton, what happened for the Blues while they were up up there was frankly unacceptable. The NHL did a great job in getting this set up, but they dropped the ball a little bit in terms of what was actually available for the players to do. So you need that to be fixed going into the regular season. But if I'm a player... And I want to get paid my full salary for next year or something approaching the full salary. I've got to understand that the best way to make that happen is by starting the season, most likely in some sort of bubble. Now, whether that's in Edmonton and Toronto again or somewhere in the States, I'm not sure what that's going to look like. But they have to understand that there are going to be some sacrifices somewhere because the teams are making sacrifices, most likely by not having fans in the stands. Yeah, I think that you have to look at it as a sacrifice, but you also have to look at it from the NHL's perspective. What happens if the superstar players opt out? What happens if you were getting all of these big names that say, hey, you know what, we're not going to do this because I don't want to be away from the family super long. I think a perfect example is going to be what some of these teams that are in the conference finals then going to the cup final, what they have to say about the bubbles once this is all done that's going to be a telling sign of if the players kind of are on the same page with it. But the other thing with all of this too, BK, is the NHL can't go another season without putting people in the seats. And I think that's the biggest thing the NHL, and that's why they're saying it could be December, it could be January. They don't know because they're trying to hold out as long as possible to find out if they can get fans back in the stands. So I... I understand that, but at the same time, while you're holding out, you're missing out on dates, Mm -hmm. and the calendar does become an issue for the NHL eventually because they would like to get back eventually to their regular calendar of when they start games. They don't want to be starting in December or January going into next season. Now, this upcoming season, 2020-2021, but the 2021-2022 season, Mm -hmm. they want to start that closer to their typical season. Right. 
And that's not going to be possible if you keep pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back. And we get summer hockey once again next year for the postseason. So I get what they are trying to accomplish with that. But what I would recommend, and this is just me, some idiot on the radio that's talking about this for a living. I would recommend if you have to start the season in a bubble, you start the season in a bubble. So that way you can get the 82 games in. And if and when it becomes possible to have fans in the stands, that's when you go to the home markets and you make the switch then. But you start out understanding we don't know when or if that is going to be possible. If it does become possible, we can switch our plan up at that point in time. We are ready for those those markets to be back open. But in the meantime, we've got to get these games in. We need these TV deals to be whole. We need to get as much revenue as we can this year. And if that means playing 82 games in a bubble, so be it. If it means that we go into the season, we play 20 games in the bubble, and then the last 60 are in our home markets with the fans in the stands, yeah. that would be ideal. But it, it would be better to do it that way and get the full 82 in than play 50 games with all of the fans in the stands. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know how you can do that. I agree. Uh, I think it's an important thing that the NHL needs to be talking about. I just know from the players' perspective and talking with some of them after Edmonton, it was just so frustrating to be in that that I don't know if they'd be willing to accept that. Now, look, all of this really determines on the, the, the amount of games played because they, the NHL has stated since the return to play that we are playing 82 games next season. I don't see – if you don't start – in December, I don't see how that's possible. So you could be looking at a 60-game schedule if you start late in December, early January to try and get the timing back together. Now, the NHL doesn't want to take the financial hit with that because yep. you are missing out on 22 games. And I think that's the other part of the bubble, too. With the games played, and then if you decide to do a bubble for however many games, I mean, they paid $130 million, $137 million, I think, for this bubble. And this was... A couple of months of hockey. Imagine and, if you had to do 20 to 30 games with all of these teams. I was about to say, and fewer teams were in them as well. You're talking, I mean, you're talking five to six, probably $100 million, which, I mean, for the NHL, that's a financial burden that could put them in bankruptcy. And I, I not bankruptcy, but I just don't think you want to take that financial hit. I will say, you applaud the athletes for the NHL for how they did this. Now, I know it's a bubble and they didn't have the opportunity to break out of the bubble. But you applaud the NHL athletes for how they've gone with zero positive tests over and over. I wonder if the players try and go to the table once the season is over and say, look, we showed our responsibility in a bubble. We can be responsible with an NHL season in our empty stadiums until we can get fans back in the stands. That's why I think people are paying close attention to the MLB and the NFL, because if they can get this travel thing down without having more outbreaks, which... Major League Baseball's done a really good job of this since the Cardinals yeah. outbreak. The NHL's going to see that and say, okay, we can travel. This is how we traveled. We're going to have empty stadiums. Let's see if we can put all of this together. I guess it's worth a shot, but we also saw how many players that tested positive while they were in their home market. I mean, yeah. Doug Armstrong confirmed after the season, 20% of the Blues tested positive for COVID-19 at some point. 20%. That's not exactly showing responsibility while you're in your home market. Right. And once they got up to Edmonton, there were zero, zero positive tests the entire time. And so I get where the players are coming from. But at a certain point, if you're a player and you want to be paid, and I would imagine that they all want to be paid next year, mm -hmm. you've got to find a way to make it work. And being in your home market might not be the best way to get the most amount of money. So I, it'll definitely be a give and take yeah. from both sides, the owners and from the players. 
But I, I think that at the end of the day, unless things change here in America, I don't know how you're going to be able to play this season, certainly 82 games, unless you go to some sort of a bubble format, even if it is six as opposed to the two that we've seen. This yeah, year. in 82 games, I think 82 games is going to be a stretch no matter what, because you're talking playing three games in four days, four games in six days. I mean, you're talking about wearing these players down, which you could expand the roster, but with a flat salary cap, it's going to be a lot of jumping through hoops of what the NHL is going to try and do to put this back on the ice. Twelve fourteen. your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Let's play a game of Are We Sure? Coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for are we sure guys are we sure Tom Brady is going to be the new quarterback the quarterback on a new team that has the greatest impact on his new team are we sure that there isn't another new quarterback on a team that could have a bigger impact than Tom Brady this year who are we implying because I have a couple I mean, there's of There's a mind. number of options. I was going to say, I have Cam a couple Newton of Newton could be one. Philip no. Rivers could be one. Joe Burrow could be one. Well, to be fair, Joe Burrows is not much to make Joe. a difference for that team. Yeah, technically, <laughs> Joe Burrows is going to be a lot better than the last one there. So I'm not. No, I'm sure. I'm sure Tom Brady's going to be. I think when you look at the weapons that the other quarterbacks have, and look, I gave the Colts my my lock taking on Jacksonville this week, but I'm not sure Phillip Rivers can last a full season at the same level Tom Brady can. I know Tom Brady's old, but when you think of Godwin and Evans and Gronkowski and Howard and Fournette and McCoy, I I mean, it goes down the list. He's got ample weapons, probably the best weapons he's had in a long time. I I just think with all of that, I think Tom Brady's going to have the most impact of new quarterbacks on a team. See, I'm on the Phillip Rivers one because to me, I think he makes him a playoff team and Love could, it. could have them win the AFC South, honestly, because really, to me, that's all they were missing last year was a quarterback. Percent was inconsistent. So to me, it's Phillip Rivers. I think he has the biggest impact. I think Tampa Bay, Brady, I mean, we all know what Brady is. So, I mean, he'll make a bigger impact than Winston, but that's I think six Rivers. Super Bowl champion Brady to you, Tanner. Whatever. I got to fill in for Rivers when he's not here. <laughs> Listen to this start of the season for the Indianapolis Colts, and you tell me how they're going to start the year, Ferrario. You tell me that I'm overrating this Colts team. (laughs) The Jaguars win. The Vikings, okay, that's a tough one. The Jets (laughs) at the Bears, at the Browns, the Bengals at the Lions. Wait, how many games was that? Seven? Six? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, six and one right there. Lions, Browns, Bengals, Bears, Jets, Jags. They legitimately could start the season six and one, and it wouldn't. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. See, I look at that. I look at it as the Jets and Jags seem to be easy wins. The other ones, I think you can make some competition with. Potentially, Cincinnati's the one that's kind of an if, but I want to see what Joe Burrow's can do with that. But look, as much as we 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 rag on Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears defense is still at least solid enough to hold down Philip Rivers. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I could see it, but I still think Tom Brady's going to have the most impact. Okay. I'm going to stick with it. I agree with Tanner on this one. T-Bone is on the money. I T-Bizzle. Think, 
I think that the quarterback that is new to his team that is going to have the biggest impact this year in terms of the win-loss record compared to a year ago is actually Philip Rivers. <laughs> 314. You heard it here from BK. Colts start out one and six. God bless you, 314. The most disappointing team in football by week seven. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Are We Sure? From the 314. Guys, are we sure that we actually want the Cardinals front office to start spending money again? The track record sure is scary. Are we sure that we want the Cardinals front office to start spending money again? I'm not sure on that. And I know we we talk about this all the time. I think I'm more sure that I want the Cardinals to hit the trade market hard like they did with Paul Goldschmidt. If you look at their free agent signings, there has not been a lot of success since Carlos Beltran. I mean, you you have the occasional free agent that comes in and helps the team. But overall, the trade market is the biggest asset for John Mosellock and the Cardinals. The other part of this, too, is this team is so difficult when it comes to evaluating offense whether it's in their draft or through free agents or through trades, they're very hit or miss with evaluating offensive effectiveness on this team. So I'm sure this team needs upgrades, but I'm just not so sure I want this team to go out and start spending hundreds of million dollars on it. This is a tough one because I'm thinking back to the recent free agent signings that we haven't been impressed with. And I look at Cecil to me, it's mostly been pitching. I mean, Fowler, you could throw in there, but has it not mostly been pitching when you hit the free agent market extensions? You could say it's been some of the bats like Carpenters. So I'm going to say, yes, I'm willing to, I'm willing to let them spend the money this offseason as long as it's not a pitcher. And I don't think they would. I think they'd be looking at the outfield, maybe a George Springer. I think that I'm ready for them to spend money, but not in the way that they typically spend money. And here's what I mean by that. I'm done buying the mid-tier player. I'm done going out and shopping in the bargain bin. I'm done going and getting a guy that I've got to spend the extra year to get a little bit lower on the salary. Don't, Don't shop in that market. The Cardinals are great at developing that guy. The Cardinals have a million average to above average players, both on the big league team and in the minors. They've developed the hell out of those guys for their team and for elsewhere. Randall Gritchick, Steven Piscotty. You've got a bunch of those guys. You don't have the elite of the elite. You don't have a Harper. You don't have a Machado. You don't have a J.D. Martinez. You don't have that big bat that you have been able to develop within your organization. Those are the guys that I want them to spend on. No more Brett Cecil's, no more Andrew Miller's. Dexter Fowler's been perfectly fine over the last couple of seasons, but he's another one of those guys that they went out and they spent on a above average player for really good money. Go get the great player. Go get the guy that's going to cost you the 10 years. It's going to hurt on the back end. Absolutely. But those are the guys that you want to go spend on. The Cardinals do a good enough job internally of developing some of the mid-level, mid-tier types of players. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Um, everybody would like you to know, Ferrari. I know, I saw it. It's Joe Burrow, not Burrows. God. Sorry. Yeah, that no S. S. No S. No S. There's only thought, one Joe Burrow. I thought that was towards me. I thought I had said that. No. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, are we sure that John Mosellock is not baseball ver- baseball's version of Jeff Fisher? Well, I've never heard Mazalok say I'm not going seven and nine. We've got to relax a little bit with the Mo hate. <laughs> yeah, we do. Mo is good at his job, and he has a difficult job because we talked about this. What was it? A few weeks ago now, Ferrario, about the tanking here yeah. in St. Louis and how that's not an option. Mm-hmm. Mo has very few ways to be able to be successful at what he's doing. 
you can't tank, so you've got to go other avenues. It does not seem like the ownership level is really interested in the guys that I just talked about. Bryce Harper going out and giving the 10-year contracts away. I don't know if that's a Mo thing or an ownership thing, whoever it is. They don't want to do that. So you end up going the Dexter Fowler route, the Andrew Miller route, the Brett Cecil route. And that's the way that they try to win. They try to win 90-plus games every year. They try to stay in contention every single year. That's really difficult to do. How many teams across baseball have had the sustained success that the Cardinals have over the last 20 years? So let's let's be fair with what John, John Mosellock has done here in St. Louis. He's been an unbelievably successful GM and pre- president of baseball operations now, despite the fact that there are obviously some frustrations. Yeah, there. What was the stat that, that Danny Mack threw out? It was earlier this week or last week that like what in the last 10 years they've they've. They've not played a playoff caliber game in the regular season three times. Played two games over the last two decade, times. I believe it is, where there has not been playoff implications based on what they do in that game. I mean, that just goes to show you, since John Mozeliak has taken over, he's gotten a ring, he's been to the World Series multiple times, championship series multiple times. At the end of the day, this is the this is the argument I have with so many people when it came to hockey coaches in St. Louis Blues history, when they would fire guys like Joel Quinville or fire guys like Ken Hitchcock, and people would say, oh, well, good, you got to get rid of them. Sometimes it's not the coach. Sometimes it's the players. Sometimes it's not the general manager or the president of baseball operations who, yes, he didn't go out and sign that one player, but he's hoping that the players that you have gone through can turn around. So yeah, I think we do need to take a step back on the John Mozeliak hate because this guy has made this team competitive since he has been in charge. Yeah, that's kind of how I am too. I'm with you guys here. Back off on Mo because Fisher, even when he was with the Rams, there was a lot of talent on that Rams team and you knew with Fisher you weren't going anywhere. With Mo, you at least know, you know what, I think he has an idea of what we're going to look like in five years. He's brought two World Series championships to this Cardinals team. So I'm backing off on Mo. Now, last year, before they made the NLCS, I was a little hard on Mo. I'm backing off on that a lot now. Final one, 65780 is their comfort service text line. This one comes from the 314. Stop. If Mo would stop trading our good players for nothing because they speak out, this club wouldn't need a Harper, etc. Just one player. Who who Fam. are the good players? Fam. Trading I mean, away Tommy Voight, Pham. And Voight is another one. Yeah, but one. Voight was a minor league player for you. Voight was a guy who was traded to the Yankees who went to their minor league system, and you hit lightning in a bottle. And the Cardinals got Gallegos out of yeah, that, right? they got yeah. a closer out of it. Who's a really good player for them. Now, Voight has gone on to hit very well for the Yankees, but I, that's, that's not a trade that I would grade as like an F for the Cardinals by any stretch. And it's the same thing we talked about with Ozuna and Fam at the open of the show. You don't know if Voight becomes what he is in New York and St. Louis. Sometimes it's just a different area that you have success with. So, I mean, it was a Tommy Fam trade that, yeah, he was their best player at the time, but it was also a player that was getting older and a player that the Cardinals felt like they didn't want to give him the money that he wanted with the sustainability and with all of the players that they had in the minors, they wanted to find out what they had in a Bader, in an O'Neill, in a Thomas. In hindsight, yeah, fam would be good for this team right now, but at the time, 
They wanted to see what they had. Yeah, I still think that that is the one trade that I will definitely criticize them for. I think it was wrong at the time. I still believe that it was wrong today. But let's not act like all the guys that the Cardinals have traded off have gone on to become stars. If you look at what Mo has done in his time, he has traded players away that have not gone on to success a lot more than he has traded players that have gone on to have success. And to me, too, the only reason that Voight one really stands out is because he went to New York, the biggest market in Major League Baseball, maybe behind L.A. That if he's playing for Tampa Bay, if he's one gets traded to Tampa Bay and puts up those numbers, nobody would even be talking about the Voight trade. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, Andy Benoit, I believe, is one of the best NFL analysts in the business. He's going to tell us what we should expect from this Mahomes-Watson matchup tonight. And is this the potential for the next Brady versus Manning in the AFC? Might not be as crazy as it sounds. Andy Benoit's going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. We continue preparing for the start of the NFL season. Chiefs versus Texans tonight. Pre-game coverage right here on 101 ESPN beginning at 630. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by NFL analyst for betonline.ag. He is Andy Benoit joining us here on the show. Andy, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing on the start of this NFL season? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. We're ha- we're happy to have you. So let's start with that game tonight. Houston versus Kansas City, the debut of Patrick Mahomes for this 2020 season. I I'm curious from your perspective, Andy, as we look at these two quarterbacks with Watson and Mahomes, do you view Watson as the number two in the AFC to Patrick Mahomes for the foreseeable future? Or do you think that that's going to be Lamar Jackson in your opinion? Oh, that's a great question. Um, boy, I, I probably would lean more towards Lamar. I actually, of the two, you know, I, I think you can make the argument Lamar is the more polished overall passer of the two. I know Watson has done some great things through the air. One thing that, that Watson has room to grow on is his movement within the pocket when he's making progression reads. If the read's defined, and especially if it's a deep read, he is outstanding in the pocket. So we know he can physically do it, and he's got the – the mechanics and the poise to play from within the pocket where he can take the next step. And Lamar's got some room to grow here as well, but where, where Watson can really take the next step and, and probably fold, uh, unfold as a full superstar is the ability to move with subtlety and nuance within the pocket while working through multiple reads, intermediate level reads, backside reads, whatever it is. Um, as I'm eager to see how he does this year with that. And then Jackson, you know, Jackson is, is, such an incredible runner but his he's a willing player from the pocket as well which is highly unusual both those guys are you don't see a lot of mobile qbs that have the discipline and mechanics to be drop back quarterbacks because they've never had to be until they get to the nfl and i've been impressed with both of them Andy, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on this upcoming season because you got a lot of new faces on new teams, but you also have a lot of young quarterbacks that could create some quarterback competition. Do you see possibly some some midseason changes when it comes to quarterbacks this year? Uh, I think it's always on the table. Teams are always going to experiment and, and do what they can there, and all things being equal, once you get to midseason especially, all things being equal, the younger guy is going to play uh, ahead of the older or ahead of the older guy. So um, I think that's that's certainly on the table. But, you know, remember, coaches, for the most part, they, they need quarterbacks who understand the system 
and uh, and can run the the plays the way they're designed. It's not just the QB out there. You got other guys that are counting on you there. We're talking with Andy Benoit here on 101 ESPN. Andy, a lot has been made of Tom Brady going down to Tampa Bay, no doubt about it, but he is certainly not the only veteran quarterback that has switched teams. You've got Phillip Rivers on the Colts. You've got Cam Newton on the Patriots now. Of those other guys not named Tom Brady, who is the player that you're most interested in seeing this weekend to see what they look like on their new team? Well, I'm optimistic for Rivers because a lot of his trouble last year with the Chargers stemmed from uh, playing under pressure. And he used to be really good at playing from a muddied pocket. Uh, You know, he wasn't as effective last season doing that, to just be perfectly honest. I don't think it's going to be as big a deal, though, because Indianapolis' offensive line is probably the best in the AFC. I think he's going to have plenty of clean pockets to play from. And I'm, I'm eager to see what that means for him. I could see him, you know, he's still a very good anticipation passer. He reads the field as well as anybody. I could see him having a really productive, efficient season in a Colts offense that also will probably incorporate a lot of the running game. It, for Tom Brady this year, Andy, if if things don't start out great, do you feel like it's going to be more on Tom Brady, or do you feel like the uh, the fire is going to go straight to the head coach? Well, that's a good question, because the system right now, it looks like they're going to run the system that the head coach runs. It sounds like it's Brady adapting to Arians, which I think is fine. I, you know, that's, uh, I bet Brady welcomes that, in fact, at this point. I mean, and Arians has had a lot of success with his scheme. It's a, it's a more aggressive scheme than most. It's a very vertical passing game that he runs. He puts a lot of onus on the offensive line to win one-on-one and pass protection. So that's the approach. Now, if you, on your question, if it for whatever reason doesn't work or it just goes abysmal early on, what do people like you and me start saying? Are we blaming Arians or are we blaming Brady? Brady will get the blame because most of the media doesn't really understand Arians' mm. scheme and, and the nuances of it. But people within football, <laughs> that'll be an interesting debate if it goes that way. I don't, I don't think it will go that way, uh, but it gets into the age-old question of, you know, how much do you tailor things to your quarterback? So the Bucks are certainly one of the teams that's getting a lot of hype going into the season. Andy, who's the team that's getting a lot of the hype that you're just not buying into? You don't see it the same way that other people seem to early in, this, early, in the early going. Well, uh, Green. I think Green Bay had an excellent season last year, and I, I maybe there's not a ton of hype surrounding them, but I think they could be a much better team this year and go 11 and five instead of 13 and three. It's they were a team with some room, quite a bit of room in some areas for improvement a year ago, even though they went as far as they did. And it's a great testament to them that they did get as far as they did amidst all the change they were undergoing. But of all the 13-3 and three and those type of teams coming off championship appearances that I've seen, and this one's returning basically everybody from last year's roster for the most part, you know, I, I've been a little more lukewarm on them than I would be on some other teams, I'd say. On the other side of that coin, I've been all in on the Steelers this offseason after what they did a year ago. I just, that defense is so good. And if you can go 8-8 eight eight with the quarterback play that they had last year, I think that that's a team that's probably going to surprise some people this year. Do you have a team like that for you that you think is going to surprise people with how good they are early? So I can certainly see your argument for Pittsburgh, and I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, that team led the NFL and sacks. They believe they were number two in turnovers, I want to say. They were right up near the top. So we're talking about a big play defense. 
that does a lot of different things schematically with their coverages and some of their pressure designs. Yeah, that's an unusual combination. Usually those teams that are highly complex, what they do is force a lot of incompletions. They don't necessarily force turnovers quite as much. For Pittsburgh to have made the big plays that they did a year ago, I'm with you on that defense. And then having Ben Roethlisberger back, they were basically treading water offensively. We don't know what Roethlisberger will be this year, um, but they're not going to be a treading water offense. They're going to be more effective than that, just having him on the field. So I, I, I like that pick. Denver's another team, and I felt stronger before Von Miller got hurt, unfortunately. Um, but a lot of offensive, young offensive firepower that fits each other really well stylistically uh, in the passing game, that is. And defensively, I, I love Vic Fangio's system. It's one of the most difficult schemes in all of football to play against, and they're going to be in year two in that system, and I would expect a big jump forward for them. Andy, talk to me about the Titans because it seems like a lot of people aren't talking about this team and they succeed under that when they make the playoffs last year and go as far as they do. But why are people not giving them a lot of credit this year? Well, they're a smaller market team. They they don't have a headline quarterback. You know, it's not a lot of I mean, they got Derrick Henry's contract figured out. There weren't a lot of other storylines pertaining to him, but um you know, that's, I mean, they were a legit AFC championship team. They weren't just some nine and seven club that happened to get hot. Once they made the quarterback change, I believe they were, I want to say one in four or something. I mean, they, had, they were down in the near the bottom of the division at the time they changed QBs. So their record under Ryan Tannehill, if they'd done that over the whole season, which that's a big if, but if they had done that over the season, they would have been the number two or three seed most likely. So I, I think the Titans are a very legit team. They do a lot of things defensively. They're much better than their defensive stats suggest. They're very difficult to play against. And we've seen them go up against good offenses before and give them trouble. Kansas City got them in the championship, but they had given Kansas City trouble during the regular season. I remember uh, the 2018, the year the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, Tennessee dominated the Patriots uh, defensively that year. So it's it's a great system that they run. Mike Vrabel does a really nice job there. Final question for Andy Benoit. He is an NFL analyst with betonline.ag. You can give him a follow on Twitter as well. He's at Andy underscore Benoit, B-E-N-O-I-T. Andy, going into this season, what is your Super Bowl prediction? I know that is the cliche question of the day, but here we are. and <laughs> We are officially here in the NFL season is beginning tonight. What is your pick for the Super Bowl this year? Well, Kansas City has a lot of firepower offensively, more than probably any team we've seen in recent years. So if, if Mahomes is available to him all season long, which you know we hope and he should be, um, I, could, I could understand why people would forecast them to get back to the Super Bowl. And the NFC side, New Orleans to me is the most complete team in the NFC. I think their offense is still very prolific. It's not quite as explosive as it used to be. Uh, having Emmanuel Sanders there, wide receiver, maybe adds a little juice to that, but it's an efficient offense still. And they, they, they were up near the top of the league in all major categories statistically again last year. And then defensively, they're probably two guys deep at each position. They, they've had full defensive rotations at all spots if they want. And they do a lot of different things on defense. They don't, they, they're not overly complex. They are with some of their pass rush looks, but Overall, they're not overly complex, but they rotate coverages so steadily that in the big scheme of the game or in the flow of that game, 
you feel like you are facing a complex defense. And they've got corners who can cover one-on-one, which gives them a lot of freedom for what they can do with other guys. So I, I guess if I were to answer your question, I'd, I'd lean towards Kansas City and New Orleans. He is Andy Benoit. You can find him on Twitter at Andy underscore Benoit. He's an NFL analyst for betonline.ag. Andy, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy tonight. Enjoy the season. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Hey, thanks for having me. You got it. That's Andy Benoit joining us here on 101 ESPN. I I think, and this is not be me being a Chiefs fan, I think this is as much of a favorite as we've seen going into the year in the AFC in a long time. Like, I, I just, we haven't seen a back-to-back Super Bowl champion, and I believe it's 20 years. And if ever there was a year where I think it's potential, for it to happen, I think it's this year with Kansas City. They just have so much firepower offensively. And the division, the Chargers don't have a quarterback right now. The Broncos just lost their best player in Vaughn Miller. The Raiders are, in my opinion, at least a year away still. The division sets up for success. They have the quarterback. They have the coach. They have the firepower. That just seems to me like the team to beat going into the AFC. And I think there's a wider margin than some people are leading on right now I as well. I agree. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Junk drawer with Ribs and BK. Brought to you by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go blues. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. So I've heard a lot about the Cubs this year and the chirping that they're doing. They say that they're keeping the energy. Other teams aren't particularly thrilled about it. They don't <laughs> seem to love it. Well, we've had a little bit of fun with our guy Trevor Bauer here on this show this season. And last night, Trevor Bauer stuck it to the Cubs, getting the W. And then afterwards continued throwing salt in the wound. Listen to this. They're yelling at me all night. So it was, fun. it was kind of funny. You know, I, I got to give them props. They, they actually chirped all night and, and yelled at me all night. Normally when they get behind, they shut up real quick. So I really got to give them props. I mean, even even when I got taken out, they're yelling bye at me. So I give them a nice little wave and, uh, and some other stuff because it was impressive that you can you can chirp at someone after you shoved it up your ass for seven and two thirds innings. Props to them on that. <laughs> Trevor Bauer. I... I think I like Trevor Bauer. Yep. I really do. It's becoming more and more like Bauer's a weirdo. We all know that. He's got some stances that maybe I don't totally agree with. But I think Trevor Bauer's good for baseball. The fact that he's doing all this stuff on YouTube and has like 100,000 subscribers, I think that's good for the game. The fact that he's willing to mix it up a little bit and stand up for some of the guys that are trying to modernize the game a little bit, I'm into that. I love the way that he had Fernando Tatis Jr.'s back whenever that whole incident came down. And then this with the Cubs, I love it. We need more of this in baseball, not less of it. That was the ultimate mic drop comment from Trevor Bauer. Like, it, it, it amazes me that the Cubs are doing the chirping. And yes, they're playing well, but they're so hot and cold. Like, if there's a team that's going to be chirping this year, you'd think it'd be the L.A. Dodgers, right? Because they're the team that consistently wins the Cubs can go into a series against the Pirates and lose and then go out the next day and win. And baseball's such a sport that chirping just feels like it shouldn't be a part of. Ah, I got no issue with it. No, I'm, I got I'm no good problem with both with sides it. on this. I got no problem with it. I'm just saying, like, 
that can happen if you're chirping in baseball. And I'm where, fine with it. I, yeah. I want it. I want more of that. Yeah. I, I am here for the Cubs chirping. I am here for Trevor Bauer lashing out in response to the chirping. Oh, God, yeah. I'm good with all of it. Baseball needs more storylines like this where it can be fun. It can be a little bit of a rivalry. And I know the Reds are no good this season, but Trevor Bauer is absolutely right. He shoved last night. Ten strikeouts, seven and two-thirds innings, didn't allow a run. I am very much here for the Cubs doing what they are doing. Trevor Bauer responding the way that he did. I want more of this. More of this in baseball, please. More pro wrestling in baseball. And maybe they were saying see you later because they were happy to see the guy get off the freaking mound with 10 strikeouts in seven innings. Unbelievable with that. Okay, so one guy is a monster in a good way. Got another one that might be a monster in the opposite direction. Okay, so the bubble, of course, in the NBA has been going well so far. Mm-hmm. Other than Lou Will walking away, we've had real no real issues. Well, we finally hit one, and it's with the Houston Rockets. Uh-oh. So Daniel House, I believe the name is, he's under investigation right now with the Houston Rockets for allegedly allowing a female COVID-19 testing official to enter his room. And so he's under investigation now for basically bringing one of the testing officials for COVID-19 in the NBA bubble into his room for the night. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. One of the females that is testing for Mm COVID-19 came to an NBA player's room to stay overnight. Yeah. So we've seen in the NFL dressing up a female as a NFL player to get her into his room. And now we got a player who is hitting on a testing official to get her into his room. Wait, why is this frowned upon? Is it wrong for me to ask that? I would imagine that she is being tested regularly. She's having contact with all of these guys every day. They're being tested regularly. Yeah. Listen, should the guy be having relations with the testing official? Probably not great. Maybe not, but if you're going, I mean, Daniel House, it appears, would probably interested in having relations with somebody right now. If he's going to have relations with somebody inside of the bubble, I would imagine this would be the NBA's preference. It's somebody uh, that they have. Not great. I, not great, Mo. It's somebody that they have a little bit of control over. They trust this individual, this woman, to test their players every day. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to have relations this would seem to be like the situation that would be best for the NBA. Am I wrong? I mean, I guess you're not wrong. I I don't know why it would be frowned upon, but I got to be honest here. It obviously I is frowned upon. the NBA upon. is out of line for this. Just well, because he's what's bringing What's the investigation in, for? Well, he's bringing in a COVID-19 tester into his room. Obviously, these are off limits. I... I I'm not sure that I understand this one. It, these guys have to be having contact with her every day, right? Yeah, I would if imagine. She's, if she's testing them, they are going to her to get their tests every day. They are face-to-face in that situation. She is inside of the bubble. She is a part of whatever they are trying to accomplish here together, right? And so mm-hmm. far, there have been zero positive tests. Knock on wood, that continues. I would imagine she's good. So if I'm Daniel House, I would say, listen... It was going to happen one way or another. At least she was somebody that is in part of our bubble. Yeah, I mean, you could spin it that way of saying, hey, look, it's either her. I go for the outside and bring somebody else in. But maybe it's because this is an employee of the NBA and she's doing the testing in the bubble. Maybe they're saying, hey, 
not the smartest thing in the world. Plus, to if be you bringing want to him, fine him, I'm fine with it. But the NBA is apparently considering whether or not he has to be uh, kicked a out part of, of a ten day quarantine. And they didn't let him play yesterday. I, or sorry, game three. Yeah, I don't understand that. Like, if you want to suspend him for a day, okay, whatever. Suspend him for a game if you want hey. to fine him. Okay, I guess I can at least listen to that. Maybe it's a violation of team rules or something. But I don't understand why he would need to quarantine when this person is having contact with them every day as part of the testing protocol. I, I wonder. I wonder if live in the bubble right now. I wonder if that's part of it. But even then, it still doesn't make much sense. Yeah, she's there. <laughs> I think it's because it, it's considered a coworker. I would imagine. You know, like it, she's working for but then the what's NBA. What's the ten day quarantine for? That's what the that's what the issue is. They're they're saying that he's got a quarantine now. That he broke his quarantine basically. Yeah. This is crazy. The NBA is totally out of line. Daniel House, I'm here for you, man. As, as Stephen A. Smith said, everyone's got to get booty in the bubble. I got to be honest. I, th- I think the NBA is out of line here. I think that the NBA is out of line here. With Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Is Patrick Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson the best shot that the NFL has at the next Brady versus Manning? It might be. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I think you saw that with uh, uh, the last year and the year before that. You see Deshaun and the, the Texans are a great football team. They have a lot of great talent around him, and he, and he makes a lot of big plays and big games. And so uh, I kind of I think I said something to him the last year at the end of the game uh, and that we're going to have these battles for a long time. And uh, we're two, two uh, opponents in the same uh, uh, division, I mean, same conference with AFC, so I'm sure I'll play a lot of games against them. The NFL needs its next Brady versus Manning, and this might be its best shot. Mahomes versus Watson tonight, game number one of the NFL season. Chiefs versus Texans pregame at 630 right here on 101 ESPN. That was Patrick Mahomes earlier this summer talking about the quote-unquote rivalry that he and the Chiefs have against Watson and the Texans. Ferrario, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning played each other a total of 17 times in their career. 17 times those two went up against one another. And it really was from 2001 to 2015 where they had the prime of that rivalry. They played each other at least once in 12 of those 15 individual seasons. Their only time that they did not play against one another when they were both healthy was 2002. From 03 to 15, any time that those two were healthy, they played each other at least once. 08, Tom Brady hurt. 11, Peyton Manning hurt. Every other year, they were playing against one another. This is what the NFL needs. They need two star quarterbacks in the same conference that can go up against each other as legitimate contenders every single season. And so for me, I look around the AFC and I'm trying to find who is going to be that guy for Patrick Mahomes the way that Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were for one another in the AFC for a decade and a half. I think that the answer is Sean Watson. I know a lot of people are going to call me crazy. They're going to say Lamar Jackson is that guy. I was going to go with it. And I understand that argument. I think I think Deshaun Watson is better. I do. I think Lamar Jackson is awesome. He's so much fun to watch. But the Ravens last year led more than any team in the NFL. And when he's coming from behind, I just don't trust him the same way that I trust Deshaun Watson at this point in their careers. Could change down the road 10 years from now. But right now, 
I think this is the best duo that you've got in the AFC. I think it's Mahomes versus Watson for me. Now, maybe I'm viewing this the wrong way, but but I'm just going off of personal experience. For me, every time it was Manning versus Brady, it was must-watch television. Like, you knew you were going to see something insane, whether it was the regular season or postseason with these two going head-to-head. Whether it be a late comeback, whether it be a blowout, one of these guys was going to put on something special. I feel that way with Mahomes and Watson, but if this was Mahomes and Jackson, and I'm looking at the quarterbacks, but I'm also looking at the teams, because when you had Patriots first Colts, it was must-watch television. Even when it was Patriots first Broncos, mm-hmm. those were two elite teams going head-to-head. Wouldn't you feel like it if it was Chiefs first Ravens moving forward that that seems to be a bigger matchup? Maybe. Um But at some point, I'm going to have to see some playoff success from Lamar Jackson. I know it's very early. He's only been a starter for basically a season and a half, but he's had two playoff games, and he's looked awful both times once they get to the postseason. Meanwhile, Deshaun Watson looked awesome in his first playoff game against the Bills. That was the start of whatever we're going to see in his career in the postseason. I just... I think Lamar... I think Lamar Jackson's awesome. I think Deshaun Watson is special. I think Deshaun Watson, from everything that we saw from him in college and what he was able to do when the moments were the biggest, whenever the the stars were shining the brightest, that's when we saw the best out of Deshaun Watson. When that same situation has entered for Lamar Jackson, it hasn't always been the case. We've seen him in the playoffs twice, and he's he's melted mm-hmm. in both opportunities that we've seen him in those po- postseason games. So that's why I'm going this direction as opposed to with Lamar. I also would say this. I think there is a clear tier ranking in the NFL going into this season with quarterbacks. I think Mahomes is alone on the first tier. The top tier is just Patrick Mahomes. In tier two for me, I know some will disagree with this and I understand. I think it's Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. And that's the end of my tier two. I think kind of like Mahomes, Lamar is in that tier of his own in tier three. So I've got Mahomes tier one, Wilson Watson tier two, Lamar in tier three. And then I think there's a fourth tier of other young quarterbacks. Dak, Wentz, and Kyler for me. I know you guys do not like Carson Uh, Wentz. I hate Wentz. I get that. And then after that, it's all of the old guys. Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, Ryan, Stafford. The reason that I bring this up is because we're getting a lot of people saying something about Watson or Wilson or Lamar on the text line. This is as much depth of really good quarterbacks in the league as I have seen in the NFL since I've started watching the NFL. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, you could talk about 10, 15 guys that you think are really, really high level players at the position right now. We are in a really good place with both young and older quarterbacks that are going to be starting this year in the NFL. It's going to be entertaining as hell to watch because of how many quality quarterbacks there are right now in the league. What about some of the, would you create another tier for some of the guys that are unknowns? Because part of me wants to put Kyler Murray up there. I've got Kyler with Dak and Wentz right now. You you have him mm-hmm. up there with those two, so you're not going to put Burrow up there yet, though. I'm not yet. I'm not willing to go there yet. I think by the end of the season, he could be in that tier, though. Because that's kind of what I'm looking at. I think I'm looking at replacing Wentz with Burrow just from what we've seen, and I know it's an unknown, and it's a season without training camp and preseason, so you're not really sure. But I, I'm just I feel like Joe Burrow is something special moving forward that can be on that tier, not by himself, but on a tier with guys like Dak and Wentz and Murray uh, moving forward. He could be. I'm just not willing to go there yet. I've seen it from Kyler. I've seen it from Dak. Dak, as much as people will will crush both Dak and Wentz, those two guys for whatever reason get, in my opinion, some undue hate. 
Dak had played at an unbelievably high level last year. Carson Wentz, in his first year as a starter, was on the path to being an MVP candidate, potentially winning the MVP that year. Of course, he ended up getting hurt, which has kind of been the story of Carson Wentz's career thus far. And Kyler last year was great. Everything you could have possibly wanted to see out of Kyler Murray on what was a less than ideal situation with his offensive line, he showed it to you last year. So I think all of those guys I have to have above Burrow now because I've seen it from them. If Burrow's able to do this year what I saw from Kyler last year, then I'll start putting him up into that conversation. Yeah, I think Burrow is going to be something special. I honestly believe, and I know we're talking here about is Mahomes and Jackson the next Brady versus Manning? I honestly believe Joe Burrow is the next Tom Brady for the NFL. This kid, Whoa. this kid lit up the SEC, Whoa. which is supposed Joe to be the best. Burrows. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's Burrows. He'll be good too. Yeah, uh, he'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I think he's something special. The way he tore up the SEC, he he just looked. I mean, he st- stayed calm. We saw him dominate Clemson in the championship mm-hmm. game. To me, he's something special. Now, looking at is it Mahomes and Watson is the next Brady versus Manning. I view Watson as Brady's Philip Rivers. You know, they played quite a bit, but there's not a lot there wasn't a lot of talent around Rivers. A lot of times when they met, Rivers usually would put on a show. That's kind of how I see Watson as. To me, there's not a lot of talent around Houston, and really the only talent he had last year was Hopkins. And mm-hmm. now that's gone. So to me, Houston's three or four years away from even being able to contend with Kansas City, and Kansas City is just loaded as it is right now. I understand where you're coming from there. I just, I, I think Watson's going to do for the Texans what Russell Wilson has done for the Seahawks over the last few years. Early in Russell Wilson's career, that team was loaded, right? The the defense was as much of the reason for their success as Russell Wilson was, although right. I, I thought that Russell Wilson was a little underrated even in those runs. Recently, though, the last couple of years, the Seahawks have been good because of Russell Wilson. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to see something very similar from the Texans this year. I think people are sleeping on them a little bit. When you have Deshaun Watson at quarterback, when you have a guy that is that good, as good as I believe he is, you're going to make the playoffs. Just like with the Seahawks, they can have a terrible offensive line. They can have no pass rush. They can have corners that aren't particularly good, which is what they had last year. And they still ended up making the playoffs, and everybody looked at them going into the postseason as, well, maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. they could get something done here. That's how I feel about the Texans. I I don't think it's a great team. I'm with you, Tanner. But... When you have that guy at quarterback, you can never count them out. And I'll say this, you know, I've been hard on the Texans with Deshaun Watson because they've gotten rid of DeAndre Hopkins and he doesn't really have weapons now. But if you really think about it, Will Fuller was hurt an awful lot for Deshaun Watson. He just had DeAndre Hopkins, who, yes, I know is an elite wide receiver, but he's got a little bit more to play with this year in terms of multiple guys of Cobb and Fuller, if they stay healthy, Cooks, if they stay healthy. I think he could have a lot more to work with if everyone is able, is able to stay healthy for an entire season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the 314. Just want to read this. This is again from the text line. How do you put Patrick Mahomes on the top tier based on two seasons? Just because you win a Super Bowl does not make you a top tier quarterback. There have been average quarterbacks who won Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes is a good quarterback who has benefited from all of the talent around him. And for BK to put Patrick Mahomes over what Russell Wilson is ludicrous. Oh, it's nice to know Jamie Rivers is texting in during the, uh, his off day. <laughs> I'm not going to defend Patrick Mahomes because I don't have to defend Patrick Mahomes. He's one of the best quarterbacks that we have ever seen in the history of football. Full stop. That is not an overstatement. We are two years into his NFL career, and he's won an MVP and a Super Bowl MVP. He's the only quarterback to have done that. And compared to some of those quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls that were average 
Joe Flacco. You could tell they were average based on what we saw previous before the Super Bowl win. Mahomes lit it up from that very first start when he filled in for Alex Smith. He won the MVP in his first year as a starter. Like, come on. And, and I'm pretty sure Joe Flacco won that Super Bowl because of the defense more yeah. than the offense. And Patrick Mahomes did not win the Super Bowl right. because of his defense. And how are you calling the average quarterbacks of Tom Brady and basically Russell Wilson over the amount of time winning the Super Bowl? It's ridiculous. Patrick Mahomes, we don't we don't have to spend Moving any more on. time on it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's catch up with our guy Joey Vitale coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by our friend Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey, how you doing today, man? That's the heck of a trio between you, Big Al, and T-Bone. T-Swizzy. T-T-Swiz, T-T-Swizzy. Do we have a nickname for Tanner yet? Yeah, it's T-Bone. You guys called him Biff, and it just didn't stick. Biff? Yeah. Yeah, it didn't work too well. No. T-Bone, I like it. T-Bone works a little you bit know, better. Uh, there's a great scene from a movie where, uh, gosh, uh, what the heck is that guy? Clive Owen. He's in this movie where he's in prison. And um, pretty clever move. He's in there for life. And he has one last meal, speaking of T-Bone. So uh, he very cleverly, God, what's the name of this movie? He cleverly gets a T-Bone steak from a famous steakhouse there in Philadelphia. He eats the steak. He stabs his inmate, so of course the guards come in, and then he escapes. So, uh, you know, T-Bone could be used as a weapon as well. So there you go. It's always good to know, Joe. See, you always get those weapon conversations out. Hey, I got a question for you, buddy. Um, We announced it yesterday here on Ribs and BK that uh, uh, we're expecting baby Ferrario come March of 2021. So I need some dad advice from uh, possibly one of the best dads I know, Joe Vitale. Well, you must not know me that well then, but um, you, know, you must not know you, you must not know a lot of men out there, Alex, who have children. If you're taking advice from me, hey, you know what? March is a good time to have a baby. Uh, we just had our fourth March seventh little birdie, and to me, that's a great time to have a baby because you're just past flu season. That's something that's going to be heavily on any new new parents' radar is the flu and getting sick. So I've had some babies through the winter. It's a little bit more stressful. So March is a great time. You're past flu season. You know, the flowers are starting to kind of bloom a little bit. The rain's kind of on its way, but you're going to start seeing some color somewhere around the bend. Uh, perfect time to have a baby. Uh, don't be alarmed. The first number two you see coming out of the baby girl or boy, it's, it doesn't look like a typical number two. It looks more like uh, pine tar. Oh, that's fantastic to know. Pine tar? What? Yeah, it's like that tar. What, what, what do baseball players put on their um, on their bats? Yeah, like no, that that's that's stuff? correct. No, it's pine tar. I'm just picturing pine tar coming out of a baby right now. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it looks like. Yeah, <laughs> if you if you read the uh, what to expect when inspecting uh, father's um, guidebook to you know you should read all these books. Alex. There's <laughs> okay. some really good stuff in there. This is good. But to know. Uh, yeah, the first the first number two, it was a little scary for me and for any new new parent out there knows what I'm talking about. It's not your typical looking deuce. It's a uh, it's a full on like black tar straight out of an asphalt convention. Fantastic! I can't wait for this. Jump up in aisle two. <laughs> Let's go to the Blues. How about that, Joey Vitale? We're talking with our Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Joey, what's going on with Alex Petrangelo? 
Dude, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know why you guys still have me on this show. You think I got the inside? No, listen. Uh, Alex is, is is doing what any good negotiator would do. He's just kind of waiting it out. You're going to see what the Blues do. It's it's no different than a CBA negotiation. It's no different than a house negotiation. No, no side wants to get too antsy uh, too quickly because then you could be giving up a little bit of something. He's got time. Uh, we, we just found out that early October there on that date is going to be the draft and free agency shortly open up after that. So he's got plenty of time. He's got about, you know, roughly three, four weeks here before any final decisions need to be made. I think Alex wants to stay in St. Louis. I think he wants to continue his, his legacy here as a St. Louis Blue. You know, he's got a lot of family ties here now to St. Louis. This is where he well, was born and kind of grew up in the game. Uh, the city absolutely has his back. Um, he's won a cup here. Uh, there's a window to win more here. Um, I think that the number could get close enough where it can make him happy. But I think that, um, you know, he's probably getting great guidance from his agency right now saying just probably hold off a little bit longer and hopefully we can get this number or this term uh, more favorable for you. So uh, I, I do see it happening. Um, I just I, I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. Joe, let's uh, let's play a little hypothetical game here because I'm curious your perspective with this. Let's look at a possibility of Petrangelo not being back with St. Louis. What happens in that offseason? Do you think it becomes a drastic change, or do you think you're only seeing a couple of tweaks here and there from Doug Armstrong to keep the majority of this identity the same? You know, to me, Alex, I, I don't know. I, I feel as if if you lose Petrangelo on the back end, uh, common sense would tell you, well, you have a big hole in the back end. You need to go find someone to fill it. Do you go after a Tory Krug, who's still going to be a UFA um, come come when when free agency opens up, just like Petrangelo? Uh, but you know, to me, that's that, that's something I, I don't know if Doug goes right too. I think you have uh, a lot of wiggle room now from a cap standpoint, where you could be creative and, and think about different ways to use it to improve your team. So if you lose a hole on defense, I, I think I would look within the organization to find, to find players and personnel to, to handle that hole, whether it's Colton Pareko moving up on that top unit. I think he's ready to, to have that commanding 30 minute game performance night in night out. He's proven to be healthy. His game continues to trend upward. And when he's on, He's one of the most lethal defensemen, as we've seen in the National Hockey League, from a defensive defending standpoint. So is he ready to be number one on the right side? To me, Justin Falk. I know he's had a rough year since coming over from Carolina, but the best hockey I've seen him play was in that bubble where he was getting great minutes because everyone else was kind of maybe taking a step back. With that bigger role, he continued to prove to me, and I think to Doug, that he can handle and he can do things at a higher level when he's given a, a larger role in this team. So with Colton number one, Justin Falls number two, uh, then of course you got you know, Marco Scandella, you got Vince Dunn, um, and you got Carl Gunnarsson. So to me, I, if you lose Petrangelo, I don't know if it's something you need to go out there and grab a defenseman to fill that hole. I would look at it more as you have some cap room now. Um, do we have six, seven million dollars to work with? What kind of forward can we get in a trade? What kind of forward can we get as UFA out on the market? Because to me, guys, I, I still think. Uh, the Blues can improve from a top six winger, especially on that left side, a consistent guy to go along with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Joey, last question for me. We were talking earlier this week with Catherine Tappen about uh, watching the postseason this year and some of the lessons that we can learn from it. And she talked about how she noticed that if you don't have a second goalie right now, you just you can't seem to win in the postseason. And that brings me to the Blues with Vele Husso. 
What are you hearing from people within the organization, or what can you tell some of our listeners about Ville Husso and what he can bring to the team next year if and when he's put into that role as the number two goalie? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Ville's a terrific kid, and he's uh, he's a hard worker. He's not a, uh, a uh, I guess, a typical millennial, I guess, in some ways. Where, and, I, and I can say that comfortably because some of us millennials, we can – we get a bit coddled and we think that we have uh, just because we want something, uh, we're going to get it. And we think we earn more than we deserve. Uh, but Billy has worked his way to the point where he is now in his career. Uh, he hasn't had a ton of experience in the minors. That may be the one question mark for a young goaltender. Does he need to go through the bump and grinding that Jordan Bennington went through, you know, five years in the minors. Look at Jacob Markstrom, who we couldn't get through uh, in the Vancouver series the player four to five years up and down in the minors. That's where he developed. So Billy's not going to have quite that experience, but they have faith in him just enough where they've given him a one-way deal where they, we, they feel that you can give him some time now in the NHL as a backup, and he's going to do very well. He's an athletic kid. He moves very well left to right. And again, the thing that stands out about him is his just absolute great work ethic where I think he'd be a very good backup for Jordan Bennington. You know, so I bring up the point where he doesn't have a lot of experience but to your point, I think this is how the Blues are starting to look at this. Jordan Bennington maybe a year ago was a goalie that would play, let's say, 60, 65 games-ish around that range. And then you had your backup like Jake Allen coming in for 15, 16, kind of spread out throughout in there. Maybe with this back-to-back goalie, goalie tandem we're going to see, I think this backup's going to get a lot more time, especially if we have a crunch season. Let's, let's take, for example, if we start mid-January, uh, early February, which is very possible. They're going to try to squeeze as many games in that window as possible. I don't know if it's going to be 82, but it could be 65, 70, 75. And there's going to be a ton of back-to-backs. There's going to be a lot of three and fours. There's going to be a lot of situations like that. So more so than ever, you're going to have to lean on your backup goaltender to give you serious minutes. So what Billy Huso may lack in the experience of the minors coming into next season, I think he will make up very quickly at the NHL level because he will be getting plenty of reps given the new schedule and the new format that I at least foresee coming up here next season. Hey, Joe, the text line came through, buddy. The movie's law-abiding citizen. That's it. Dude, hey, this is a great movie. You've got to check this thing out. Clive Owen, he's one of those guys, like, you know, he's got that kind of rugged beard and that, like, British accent, but he's kind of a B.A. in his own way. It's Gerard Butler, right? Yeah, it's Gerard Butler, not Clive Owen. Doggone it, it's Gerard <laughs> Butler. Doggone it. No, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that's Gerard Butler. That's why yeah. I was like, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's him. Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx, but okay. but you had the movie down, Joe. That's the one. Yep, yep, I am way off my radar. I've been off my game, boys, since hey. the blues lost. Hey. You kind of caught me with my pants down. All, all we needed was the T bone reference. We got the rest of it, man. Well, you know, it's it is healthy if you ever get into uh, an alley fight. And you just were finishing up at a steakhouse, and some guy's trying to bully you. And you defend yourself. You can use a T-bone thing. That's what I'm saying. That's all. That was my point. (laughs) Don't don't miss the main point. We come to Joey Vitale for advice on how to avoid bear encounters and what to do if and when you're in a dark alley with a T-bone steak in hand. That's what we come to you for. And now I'm prepared for pine tar. Hey, that bear thing. That was a that was a serious thing. I was in the minors, and I walked in in like third or fourth day from college. I'm in the minors. Paul Bissonette in Wilkes-Barre's locker room. I walk into people screaming at each other. John Curry, our goalie, he was screaming at Biss. And Biss is like, no, this is what you do. So they're talking about being attacked by a bear. And Paul Bissonette, um, he genuinely felt if he ever was attacked by a bear, he would be in the wilderness 
and he would look for the thickest, roundest tree. And he's like, and then, and then just get, get on the other side of the tree. And then the bear will go to the right. And then you just go to the left. And then as he goes to the left, then you just go to the right. You just keep going the opposite direction of where the bear is going and you'll be fine. And eventually the bear will get so tired and hungry. He'll just leave you alone. Interesting. Interesting theory there. Interesting theory. Did, did, you, did you hear our advice for uh, if you encounter a polar bear? You, well, you're toast, first and foremost, but what, what do you got? So apparently, according to people that are in the know, uh, what you're supposed to do is start slowly taking off your clothing and like leaving basically breadcrumbs for the uh, polar bear. And the hope is that the bear gets so interested in your clothes that he becomes less interested in you and you're able to get away. But yeah, like you said, you're pretty much toast. So strip tease, Joe. You know that's not a bad that's not a bad thought. I guess if it's kind of symmetrical, what, what happens when it finds out your clothes are, aren't food? Or I guess what happens if he leave, what happens if he leaves you alone, but then you're stranded out in Antarctica with no clothes? You're probably gonna die of hypothermia. So that doesn't make too much sense. Yeah, listen, Joe, you're either gonna die of hypothermia or because of the polar bear. So I mean, you're you're really choosing your own poison there. Take the first. I mean, I'd rather go out killing a polar bear because I think I could actually, and I think that'd be a great story. So. J- Joey, it's been great, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you next week. All right, bud? Player, four to five years up and down in the minors. That's where he developed. So Billy's not going to have quite that experience, but they have faith in him just enough where they've given him a one-way deal where they, we, they feel that you can give him some time now in the NHL as a backup, and he's going to do very well. He's an athletic kid. He moves very well left to right. And, again, the thing that stands out about him is his just absolute great work ethic where I think he'd be a very good backup for Jordan Bennington. You know, so I bring up the point where he doesn't have a lot of experience, but to your point, I think this is how the Blues are starting to look at this. Jordan Bennington maybe a year ago was a goalie that would play, let's say, 60, 65 games-ish around that range, and then you had your backup like Jake Allen coming in for 15, 16, kind of spread out throughout in there. Maybe with this back-to-back goalie goalie tandem we're going to see, I think this backup's going to get a lot more time, especially if we have a crunch season. Let's, let's take, for example, if we start mid-January, uh, early February, which is very possible. They're going to try to squeeze as many games in that window as possible. I don't know if it's going to be 82, but it could be 65, 70, 75, and there's going to be a ton of back-to-back. So there's going to be a lot of three and fours. There's going to be a lot of situations like that. So more so than ever, you're going to have to lean on your backup goaltender to give you serious minutes. So – what Billy Huso may lack in the experience of the minors coming into next season, I think he will make up very quickly at the NHL level because he will be getting plenty of reps given the new schedule and the new format that I at least foresee coming up here next season. Hey, Joe, the text line came through, buddy. The movie's law-abiding citizen. That's it, dude. Hey, this is a great movie. you got to check this thing out. Clive Owen, he's one of those guys that, like, you know, he's got that kind of rugged beard and that, like, British accent, but he's kind of a B.A. in his That's own Gerard way. Gerard Butler, right? Yeah, it's Gerard Butler, not Clive Owen. Doggone it, Gerard <laughs> Butler. Doggone it. No, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that's Gerard Butler. That's why yeah. I was like, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's him. Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx. But, okay. but you had the movie down, Joe. That's the one. Yep, yep, I am way off my radar. I've been off my game, boys, since hey. the Blues lost. Hey, you kind of all, caught me with my pants down. All, all we needed was the T-bone reference. We got the rest of it, man. Well, you know, it's, it is healthy if you ever get into uh, an alley fight and you just were finishing up at a steakhouse and some guy's trying to bully you and you defend yourself, you can use a T-bone thing. That's what I'm saying. That's all. That was my point. <laughs> well, don't we don't c- miss the main point. 
We come to Joey Vitale for advice on how to avoid bear encounters yep. and what to do if and when you're in a dark alley with a T-bone steak in hand. And That's what we I'm, come to you for, Joey. And now I'm prepared for pine tar. Hey, that bear thing, that was a, that was a serious thing. I was in the minors, and I walked in, and by the third or fourth day from college, I'm in the minors, Paul Bissonette in Wilkes-Barre's locker room. I walk into people screaming at each other. John Curry, our goalie, he was screaming at Biss. And Biss is like, no, this is what you do. So they're talking about being attacked by a bear. And Paul Bissonette, um, he genuinely felt if he ever was attacked by a bear, he would be in the wilderness, and he would look for the thickest, roundest tree. And he's like, and then... And then just get get on the other side of the tree, and then the bear will go to the right, and then you just go to the left. And then if he goes to the left, then you just go to the right. You just keep going the opposite direction of where the bear is going, and you'll be fine. And eventually the bear will get so tired and hungry, he'll just leave you alone. Interesting. Interesting theory there. (laughs) Interesting theory. Did you you hear our advice for uh, if you encounter a polar bear? Well, you're toast, first and foremost, but what what do you got? So apparently, according to people that are in the know, uh, what you're supposed to do is start slowly taking off your clothing and, like, leaving basically breadcrumbs for the... Uh, polar bear, and the hope is that the bear gets so interested in your clothes that he becomes less interested in you and you're able to get away. But, yeah, like you said, you're pretty much toast. So strip tease, Joe. You know, that's not a bad that's not a bad thought, I guess, if it's kind of symmetrical. What, what happens when it finds out your clothes aren't, aren't food? Or I guess what happens if he le- what happens if he leaves you alone, but then you're stranded out in Antarctica with no clothes? You're probably going to die of hypothermia. So that doesn't make too much sense. Yeah, listen, Joey, you're either going to die of hypothermia or because of the polar bear. So, I mean, you're, you're really choosing your own poison there. Take the first. I mean, I'd rather go out killing a polar bear because I think I could, actually, and I think that would be a great story. So. J- Joey, it's been great, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you next week. All right, bud? Thanks, fellas. It's been productive. You got it. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. What's next for Dylan Carlson? Yeah, he's down in the minors now. He's down in Springfield. But what's next for him? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So what do you do with Dylan Carlson now? I was listening earlier today to Danny Mac's show and BT said something interesting. Said the future of the Cardinals and the future of Dylan Carlson are linked. I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you look throughout the organization right now for the Cardinals and their minor leagues, they don't have a whole lot of bats like Dylan Carlson's. They have told us that he can be a a 300 hitter. That's the type of guy that Dylan Carlson can be. Well, if that's what he's going to be in the future, if that's what we are all expecting down the road, then he's going to start for them next year. And my question to you, Ferrario, is what do you do with him now? Do you consider bringing him back up this year? Do you... Find out for the remainder of this season what you have in your current outfielders with Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas and Harrison Bader. What is the plan now with Dylan Carlson? Sending him down in a lot of ways was the easy part. Now becomes the difficult part of what do you do with him? I think at least from the Cardinals perspective with this, you send him down because he's not getting these everyday at bats. And I know it's not the same when it comes to major league pitching and being in the, uh, at the spring training satellite camp, but it's an opportunity for Carlson to reset himself. And it's an opportunity for the Cardinals to find out what they have in these four other outfielders, one being Fowler. And then of course the three young guys, 
I think what you do in this circumstance is you let him kind of reset the brain. And then once you get to that final stretch going into the postseason, you bring him back up. And I don't know if it's everyday at bats, but I think it's just being around the major league team. Once again, I think for the, for, for Dylan Carlson's future right now, the only thing he needs to keep doing is consistency. And if he's not going to be doing it at the major league level, he needs to be doing it somewhere until he's at the major league level. I still agree with Mike Schilt that he's going to be fine. I was listening to Brian Walton, who was on with uh, with Danny Mac yesterday, I believe. And he was talking about how this is possibly a good thing for Dylan Carlson to just reset everything and come back with a fresh look rather than being up, being depended upon because of all of these COVID outbreaks and then sitting on the bench and just kind of demoralizing it in it. So I think this is something that once you get to that final stretch, that's where you get Carlson back up and you let him in because the other guys have either shined or they haven't shined. I'm kind of stuck on whether or not I want to even bring him back up this year. Because if you're going to bring him, I understand if you're going to bring him up, you want him to play. But I don't know if I want him playing in the midst of this postseason run. Because there's more pressure then on him than there was earlier, I would think. I mean, that's just my point of view on it. I'm not 100% sure if you guys feel that. But I don't know if I really want to toss a kid that everybody has such high expectations for. We were talking about him hitting in the two-hole when spring training was coming to an end. So I don't know if I want him coming back into another pressure situation in a playoff run like that. I think it's completely dependent upon what happens with their current outfielders. I really do. If Harrison Bader can continue hitting at a solid level, if Dexter Fowler comes back from the injured list and he's able to reach back to what he was before he went on the injured list, and if one, just one, of Lane Thomas or Tyler O'Neill, or it sounds like, uh, your boy Austin Dean is potentially getting back up Savior. with the major league club. If one of those three can hit, not even at a great level, but just at an average level, they can get you to 250 and they've got a little bit of pop. I think that means that we don't see much, if any, of Dylan Carlson the remainder of the season. But if Harrison Bader doesn't hit, if none of those other guys start hitting, and you're seeing Matt Carpenter regularly in the lineup and they're trying to use Tommy Edmond out there in the outfield. That's when I think we will have the opportunity again later this season to be able to see Dylan Carlson again. I think it's completely reliant upon what happens with their current outfielders. I think they want to know everything that they can about these guys first before we get any answers this year on Dylan Carlson. Well, and I think it's also going to coincide with what happens with Fowler. When you get Fowler back, that's another position that's going to be taken away from Carlson's inability to play because Fowler is going to be in there every day. You're pop, you're, you're more, more, most likely going to see Bader in there every day. Now you got one position. It's left field. Left field's the one that's open. And then if Matt Carpenter, for some reason, begins to hit, then Tommy Edmonds is going to be there. So Carlson's battling a bunch of different guys who are trying to prove something to the Cardinals. And I pulled up the article that Brian Walton wrote on the CardinalNation.com, who does phenomenal work in terms of evaluating prospects for the Cardinals organization. Bad luck or not, in any other year, a prospect with a slash line of 162, 215, 243, 458 in his first 79 MLB plate appearances would be sent to the minor leagues for more seasoning. But for the system's top prospect, it's a two-edged sword. Back in Springfield, he won't see MLB quality pitching, but he has the opportunity to approve and perhaps in the situation as presented with experienced big league pitchers working him backwards at times. So I think... The ability to go down and work with, yes, you don't have MLB, you don't have Jack Flaherty that you're working with every single day, but you're still working with major league ready players to continue those at-bats and work on some fundamentals that haven't worked. The biggest thing for Dylan Carlson that he needs to work on moving forward 
is what his approach looks like with runners in scoring position. He came up to the plate with runners in scoring position 26 times in 17 games. 26 times. He had a total of three hits in those situations with eight strikeouts. And with runners in scoring position, he hit 125 and a 359 OPS. That's just not good enough. And if he's going to be the productive major league player that we all believe that he still can be, this is a setback. We still believe in him in the future. If he's going to be that guy, that has to change. He's got to be better than that because I think he projects as a two, three, or six hole hitter in the future. And you're going to come up with runners in scoring position a lot if you're going to be in any of those spots in the order. So he's got to improve there. That's something they're absolutely going to be working with him on down in Springfield. I think we will see him at some point this year, but it is completely reliant to me on what we see from this current outfielder. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's newest store. Number 41 in Eureka is now open. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Crossing things over with the fast lane. We've got Chris Ranji in studio. Ranji, you excited for football season, Oh, man? my God. I am so excited to see the eventual Super Bowl champion play tonight. I just don't know if they're going to beat the Chiefs in game one, you know? I was wondering when it was going to happen. I thought you were going to go in a about? different direction. I thought you were going to say, see the eventual Super Bowl champion play on Sunday. Yeah, I was where I thought you were going to start, and then oh, you switched okay. it up on I me, was and you pre- went with the I was preparing my Bears joke for that. So, but oh, no, they're going to be trash. Did you see that <laughs> everybody uh, that writes, that, that covers football for CBS Sports, everybody, and, and there were six or seven of them, they all picked the Bears to finish dead last in the division. See, All of them. It was across the they board. They also happened to play in a really <laughs> difficult division this year. Like, if they were in uh, the NFC East, I think they'd have a shot to have a pretty decent season. Because at least then you've got the Giants and Washington who are not good. But you're in a division where I think every other team is pretty solid. Yeah, I actually like tough. the Lions this year a little yeah. bit. I, I don't like their coach, but I like their roster. So. I think I'm going to pick... The Bears to to win uh, week one, though, against them. I think they win that one, and then you start to think, oh, maybe Mitch is making progress, because he's done well against Detroit in the past. So I think you kind of feel like, all right, man, here, here we go. And then week two and week three is when they show you that they're actually not good. Well, there was just news that came out from the Lions. It sounds like Kenny Galladay is hurt. So oh. that, that doesn't help okay. their chances. Well, the news. Bears don't have David Montgomery either. Does but that hurt I, him? I, I, well, I mean, kind of. Uh, I know they did a Zoom call or are going to do a Zoom call with him today, so maybe he's making some progress, but I don't know. They're just they're not going to be very good. Who is your I, – I, I don't know if you guys are getting to this today or not, so if you are, just go ahead and tease it. But who's your prediction for the Super Bowl this tease. year? Do you have uh, one? Tease. Tease. Uh, it's the uh, Houston Texans. <laughs> who's your real one? <laughs> I, you know, I think Baltimore does it this year. I think they do. They're, that roster is just good, top to bottom. It is. It's very good. Yeah, I, I think they're gonna they're, they're gonna be solid. I think it's difficult for the Chiefs, even though they're probably at the beginning of it. And I hate to get. I'm gonna say this now because Meat's not in the room. I'll wait till he's in the room to tell him how bad the Chiefs are okay. gonna be. Just because I Smart. I don't I don't want him to have joy, you know. But uh, I like you, BK. You so I'm gonna go ahead and tell people. you. People, you don't like people to have joy. Do no, you? it just depends. Certain people. Just certain people. You guys, I want to feel. 
all the joy. Thank you. All right. BK in particular, because mm, I think I, appreciate you, that. I know you suffered with that Chiefs team for a long time. Yes. So uh, Tyler I, Palko. They are Shane at the Palko? beginning of what should be an, an, an awesome stretch of football. I don't think they're going to go back to back. I think it's very difficult to do that. The Patriots did it. What was that? Oh, three, oh, four. Last time it's happened. It, it's just tough to do it. And this is an unusual year for everybody. So I can't see them repeating. But I would be shocked if they don't end up in multiple Super Bowls over the next five years. Shocked. I agree. I think this is the year for them again. I really do. Like that that offense, the way that it's set up, and I know I'm going to get all the texts on the text line at 65780 calling me such a homer, but it's just true. Like you have Patrick Mahomes on his rookie deal still, and he is still technically this year on his rookie deal, along with Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and McCole Hardman and Travis Kelsey, and you just added a first-round running back to go with that mix. And, and everybody, everybody thinks he's going to be amazing. I think he's going to. He's yeah. a perfect fit for that offense. And then the the little-known secret in Kansas City is they actually kind of upgraded on the offensive line in the offseason. So I just I don't know how that team doesn't continue on its success when last year, for the vast majority of the season, Mahomes was hurt. Mm-hmm. He had the ankle injury after week one, and then he had his knee on sideways midway through the year. And that team won the Super Bowl. So like, if that team can do it, I, I think it's going to be really hard to beat them this year. Uh, I think the AFC is going to be fascinating, though. I actually think the Steelers are going to win the AFC North, so I will be very interested to see how that division goes. I, what do you think Ben's going to be? I just don't. I don't know if I believe much in him coming back from all of that. His elbow being okay. I, I, doesn't, I don't, it doesn't I don't believe in him. It doesn't matter. Ducky Rogers is going to be the MVP. <laughs> ah, okay. If they can go okay. eight and eight with Duck Hodgins and oh, that's his name? Mason Rudolph leading them and having one of the worst passing offenses I've ever seen in my yeah. entire life. Uh, that's a team that I believe can go ten and six or eleven and five, even if Ben is only seventy well, th- percent of what he was. That's the thing is that I I do see the team, and we were talking about comeback player of the year, like who the best candidates are, and everybody has picked him, or a lot of people have Cam picked or him, yeah, yeah, have picked him to be that. I can absolutely see his team around him being so good, leading to wins, and you look up and say, man, the Steelers have won ten games this year, and Ben is back. He's comeback player of the year, regardless of what his numbers are. I could 100% see that happening. I think he's going to have a Phillip Rivers-esque season, where he throws more picks than you probably want him to, but he also ends the year with like 4,800 yards passing and 32 touchdowns. I, I think he's going to have a pretty good year. I just, I, I really like that roster. They are really good. Man. Well, me, They're loaded. Me is mad at me. I, I think he heard what I said about the Chiefs, and he just came in here and flipped me the bird. <laughs> what's coming up the on show. the fast lane today? We are going to talk about uh, what's happening in baseball, and guys, you know how when they set up this, the, the schedule before the season started, how the American League Central was supposed to be a doormat? Mm, I heard about that. Hasn't been. They've been awesome. They've been awesome. and uh, Well, most of them. Yeah, well, most of them with the exception of... Uh, that team the over team there. Across the yeah, state. The, yeah, across the state. Those guys. Yeah, so we're going to start with that. We'll, we'll, we will get into a little bit of Cardinals today, even though they're, they've got the doubleheader going. Obviously, Chiefs, Texans, we will talk about the start of the NFL season. It's actually happening. It is happening. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's Let's coming go, up baby. from 2 to 6. Chris Ranji in the fast lane. Alex has been fantastic, man. We will see you on Monday. Tanner, I'll see you tomorrow. Jamie Rivers back tomorrow at 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN.